And can I just ask, uh, this is how long have you played Warhammer in like in general? Uh, since I was in fifth grade, so over twenty years. Um, I started playing with forty k at the start of fourth edition. Okay. So it was like ninety eight. Okay. I think. Sounds roughly around when I started. I, I, yeah. 97 is about where I, I roughly placed. I was would have been about 6th grade. Yep. So that make me a little bit older than you. 30, I'm 35 going on yep. 36. I'm, thir- I'm 32, so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I started playing around 6th, around 7th <laughs> grade. That, that that tracks. Yeah, there's about we started right about the same time. So you started with 40K. Yep. When did you jump to Fantasy Battle, or did you stay 40K oh. all the way to AOS? No, I did... Uh... I was 40k for a bit, and then like a year and a half later, I got into fantasy as well. I had a friend that wanted to play fantasy, so I played that. But I also liked 40k, so I kind of played both at the same time. Oh. So I had, and then we had a uh, growing up, we had a group of people um, that I were like on my street where we all played Warhammer, and we both played fantasy and 40k. And I don't really know, but like every six months or so, the club would just kind of switch. And we'd start <laughs> playing fantasy again, or we'd start playing 40k again. And yeah. um, you know, we had like an orc player, we had a high elf player, we had an empire player. I played um, undead, uh, well, I guess vampire oh, constantly at the time. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then dark elves, when they were absolutely terrible. But I played the most annoying dark elf list possible of just all little five and ten man units of just like going all at angles. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Oh yeah, people man. hated me. Just fast cavalry all over the place. It was a pain. <laughs> when they were still called cold one riders, and they had the stupidity yep. rule, where like they just wouldn't do anything. Oh, I ended up hating those things because they would fail their stupidity checks right when they were all lined up for their charge. I'd have five of them and like a lord in there. I'd be like, all right, great, my hammer's coming down, and then they'd fail their stupidity check, and I'd just be like, well, that's that. <laughs> Guess I'm stuck. See, I was. I started with Warhammer Fantasy Battle uh, right as, like, so it was Army Book Undead, and then, like, the Vampire Counts came as I was building, that that change came as I was building sure, my yeah. army. Um, I was terrible at Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Like, stuff like jumping, uh, guessing, guessing distances and no pre-measuring. And things that game like, was hard. Spatial, it was a hard game. Like, the spatial awareness of that game. So hard. Is well, like, the angles of every unit, too, trying to figure out how do you want to place your block? Does it face 40 degrees to the left or 45 degrees like mm-hmm. i mean it's a huge deal paying movement for wheeling you're you're now doing geometry to wheel your cavalry yeah like uh, just it was stuff that like you know you know you're talking about a middle schooler i mean that was that was hard con- those were hard concepts for me to like grasp even though i was very smart analytical you know i was in the i'm that kid who would go on to be the honor student ap student nerd by all measures right and even then i'm like it, when I switched over to 40k in about high school, uh, co- more more college, I, ha- I started mm-hmm. collecting Blood Angels in about high school, but I didn't really have anything substantial until I went to college. I was a much better co- uh, I was a much better uh, player uh, of 40k. Uh, something about that skirmish nature, you know, yeah, it, it, it made it easier. Like, yeah, you still had scatter dice and templates and those, yep. some of those other things. And so when AOS happened, I'm like, they took the thing I liked the most about uh, about 40k, which was like essentially the skir- what they called skirmishing units in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, like Goblin Fanatics were skirmishing units; they didn't have to keep yeah. cohesion, right? They took that skirmishing stuff, and then they said like, okay, now you just have like, you know, coherent unit coherency. Yep. 
have I'm like, yes, I am going Do to have fun. Want. I'm gonna have all the fun ever. I see Chat Gang already showing up. Kicker saying good evening, Lion Nerd, how's <laughs> it going? I am of course the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man in Age of Sigmar, and you are watching AOS Rantcast eighty six. Gonna be talking about Daughters of Cain, tournament preparation, and Age of Sigmar Worlds, uh, form the event formerly known as ETC. Uh, tonight, my guest is uh, Jake. And Jake, I gotta finally ask, how do I pronounce your last name, man? Lecure. Lecure. Like, so you're like Lecure for uh, like the like for the yep. Warhammer. What ails you? Like, you got Lecure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or could it be uh, you know you're, you're you're mixing a drink? You need a good Lecure in it. You know. All right. All right. Either way, you can go go right. either angle. Like my my um. I want to ask, is it French? Like, is it a, a French or it could be like Latin? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's French Canadian and then French before that. So, right, yeah. Right on, right on. Yeah. And, uh, our guest tonight, uh, many of you know to dread him and fear him in the med Midwest. For some of you, you may not have learned, but you are from the Detroit Warhammer Club. Tharby Monsters here in the Midwest. They're all from <laughs> Detroit. Uh, Terrors in the top tables. Um, and a pretty. I mean, you, you're mentioning kind of on the uh, off show that you play a lot of different armies, but my sort of uh, meeting of you is very much Daughters of Cain. Like you have these awesome Spartan conversions for your for your for your DOK, and you pretty much have the triple crown: sports, uh, sports, hobby, and GT wins with with them all. So like just yep. across the board. So we're gonna <laughs> talk a little bit of DOK from from a from an expert. Um, plus whatever we whatever else we we uh, we we land upon. Um, sound great, man. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, so just real quick about how, like, when did you jump in on on Daughters of Cain, and why did you jump in on Daughters of Cain? Because, like I said, I mean, the time is weird to me. I lost a whole year, but right when I was getting into the tournament scene, I think I maybe a, I don't think you were at Dragonfall. It probably wouldn't have been until the following year at Adepticon. I think I probably saw your I saw your yeah. for the first I time. I took it to uh, I took Daughters of Cain to Adepticon. Uh, it would have been. 2018 i think yeah i think uh, that would 20 maybe 2019 um it was the the spring that they it was like the spring after they had come out right um and i only i only had a thousand points of them ready yeah. um i i took um nagash and grim guests to the main event yeah and... um but the uh, i took the daughters that converted up to the uh the thousand point event Right on, right on. And then I think Midwest Midwest meltdown the the year prior to that. It was you, you were I think you're in the photo with what with a Nagash, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. This that was uh, that was when we all brought Nagash and that uh, got the spell portal uh, FAQ'd pretty darn fast. <laughs> <laughs> Broke that in a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Martin Orlando. It was 2019, and it was on a gold shield, right? Your display board yeah. is this this yeah. golden shield. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then uh, and then I think uh, Nashcon, uh, you took him there. You won Nashcon. Yeah. Sure um, did. Uh, so so you know, congrats! You got the sweet sword uh, yeah. trophy that that is one of the most coveted uh, one of the most coveted pieces of hardware I think in our tournament scene. Probably my favorite trophy for sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so just been kind of like a, a, a tearing up with Daughters of Cain. Uh, we got a new book coming out. And I'll get your thoughts on on what the future holds for you and Daughters of Cain a little bit later. But what's your sure. read on the new book? The you know the good, the bad, what's interesting? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean it's it, it's a lot more wide open than the the last book. I feel like um, the last book it was to me at least. And keep in mind, I'm looking at it from a, a like a cutting edge competitive perspective. So. Um, you know, if you're looking just to kind of have fun with the book and go play, you know, Tuesday night Warhammer, Wednesday night Warhammer, Garage Hammer and stuff like that, this, this take is not necessarily that, but if you want to take a, an army to potentially win five or six games at a tournament, I mean, 
the last book, it was going to be Hagnar, or maybe if you were really off the wall, you could do the um, uh, the, the Calibron build, but there wasn't a whole lot of other options in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very good at what it did. It, was, it could be very durable, very fast, a lot of damage as well, um, which is pretty incredible to have all of that. Mm-hmm. The new book with all the new temples really, really opens up. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that Hagnar isn't still great. It is. Its powers come down a little bit, though, with the Holy Within bubble and losing its reroll all hits. Um, that changed it a little bit. Um, and then you had other temples pop up, you know, Trichik and F looking great with uh, charge, but um, you know yeah. even uh, the, the you know um, uh, the Crave up there. Yeah, Scott. Up yeah, fight yeah. again. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun just to roll the dice and see if you fight again. I mean, it's a third of the time that's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, so, hey, Chuck yeah. Moore is a uh, you know Crave, uh, and they're on Sisters of Slaughter. And I was just looking at yeah. um uh, uh you know JP uh, Janice's uh, uh, list bot. And the mm-hmm. efficiency of like Sisters of Slaughter, like one of uh, brilliant uh, points efficiency on those. So yeah, so one hundred eighty percent points efficiency, something like that. Yeah, I mean anything that can activate from six inches out um, just has so much flexibility. That unit is incredible. Um, you can retreat and you know quote unquote charge. You're not charging. You're just retreating, running, and then piling into another unit. But it doesn't say you can't do that. So you can effectively retreat and charge so long as you can get within six. Right. If somebody tags your unit you can pile the whole unit in so it makes it a great defensive buff they end up being a huge problem yeah yeah i mean we i think we're really seeing the evolution of table play in age of sigmar as we've moved shooting has forced us a little bit more towards msu and mm-hmm. uh really the movement phase and movement i th- i think is one of the most important parts of of age of sigmar and they just got like They've got a teleport. They've got a teleport sub allegiance. They've got mm-hmm. just on the war scroll uh, re, re, uh, pile in shenanigans, and then you got retreat and charge. Like you, they're bringing a lot of movement tech, yep. which that on its surface value is like highly valued. But then they also bring the damage to get people off of the spots they want to be on, which is really yep. where where the book becomes winning and not just cheeky, right? Yeah, like, well, they have deep striking too. So they have harpies. Both are well-known units for deep striking. Um, One can shoot and then move when it comes down, which is fantastic. The other unit uh, is part of a battalion that gets plus one to charge. You can reroll charge rolls of a one on turn two onwards. So that unit has a very reliable charge. At nine inches, you got an an eight on the dice with rerollable ones. Not too bad. Um, And then they also have the Shadow Stalkers, which are just so (laughs) <laughs> an unbelievable unit i can't and believe that scroll is pretty, so good <laughs> yeah i can't believe that what 100 points i'm just i looked at those and i'm like they do so much for 100 points it's it's crazy because like getting the daughters of cain perspective i'm like i play very much kind of stick to like my death armies a couple chaos armies now mm-hmm. um it's like i would auto for 100 points i would auto include those in most of my list builds and you've got i'm talking to dok players and they're like yeah like it's hard to like take them over other stuff i'm like that's the bar like it's so like there's such good efficient uses of your points in that book that like you look at something like that that like i would kill for in like osir bone reapers and like like, the thing is that that's internal book balance though right right because reapers have durability that other books beg for i mean look at the catapult for reapers it's it's a mind-blowing piece of artillery that other books would beg for right but that is where you get the internal balance of a book that there's some of these scrolls and daughters that are just unbelievable. Doomfire Warlocks are one of them. Yeah. On paper, just straight up, that is an incredible scroll. But I still don't think you're going to see it in that many armies. Not because they're bad. 
they're not bad. They just don't fit what the army tries to do. Right. Um, but it's an amazing scroll. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any bad scrolls in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Even the like some of the bad, like the worst scrolls are are significant buff pieces. So you're you're penalized for that force multiplier a little bit, but they bring such a good force multiplication or good utility to the field. I'm thinking about one of the one of the cauldron, which is I'm like, I'm like, yeah, kind of don't want this, but. Mm, like it, the buff it's bringing the force multiplication and in yeah. some of the builds where it really enables and really turns itself on with some bonuses it's, you're like yeah this is great I mean yeah. one of the takes I see on the internet is like they're complaining that the book is too good and I'm just like and I'm I'm a pessimist in most of my life but I'm an optimist when it comes to things I love I'm like no 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 you don't understand I wish everything was this good like <laughs> I don't view it as a bad thing I want I want everything to be to this level like ra- like this is, you know, like if Beast of Chaos gets a second tome and they show as much care in a second Beast of Chaos tome as they did this this sort of second DOK tome, tome you're just like, yeah, like we're gonna we're gonna throw a ticker tape parade. All the beast, all the Bray herds will be roving. The sh- okay, so maybe don't make it that good because you don't want to stack, uh, you know, you don't want all the Beast of Chaos furries out um, you know, <laughs> at your tournaments. But but the point is, is uh, I think it's a really good. I think they should really look at what they did right here going forward. Um, the joke is that Daughters of Cain was sort of like a, the the beta 2.0 book. Mm-hmm. If this is the beta 3.0 book for AOS, I think we're in a good place. Yeah, so. it should be interesting. I mean, it's a it's a very balanced book in that it has everything in it. Uh, it's going to be able to play no matter what the meta is: as shooting, as movement, as durability, as damage, uh, as Marathi, which is she's just her whole her own thing. It has you know ridiculous combos if you want to do that. It has yeah, the hordes of infantry. If you want to do that, you can go elite. You can go hero hammer. Um, there's a lot of options in it. In a way, the way the new daughters book is built, it reminds me a lot of Skaven. Mm-hmm. Skaven has a lot more scrolls and a lot more options, but that book will play no matter what the meta is, and will always have something that's good. Um, daughters, I think, will be the same case. And right now, I think the the points are a great value. Even if the points go up, there's still going to be something that is uh, you know left at its current points or even comes down that will be highly valuable yeah yeah i mean i mean that's i think about like we talk we kind of you're you're very much taking this from the competitive angle so i'm gonna i'm gonna play the the sort of casual angle sure uh, for our dynamic of the episode but i think about like a new player you know i'm my money is precious my time is precious yep. i'm sitting there thinking about trying to get in on a book um those toolbox style armies you know cities of sigmar uh you mentioned skaven this mm-hmm. book going forward i mean that's I mean that that's pretty comforting. If I if I look at this yep. book with a lot of options, I go look at this. Even if my points get hammered or, or like they yep. go down a little bit, it's got such good war scrolls and good sort of like internal parity with a lot of options. You know, from sub faction to sub faction, that yep. I can really feel confident buying this army and in a year from now, if you know, they get looked at twice in the you know, the big winner FAQ and maybe a GHB and stuff, I can still feel pretty confident that I'm gonna be able to field something one close to what I how I want to play. You know, I maybe I don't want to be like super techy and like doing pile and shenanigans. Maybe I do want to like play more classically, screaming across the table, get in your face. Oh, Hagnar, yeah. Sure. Hello, how do you do? Like, I, I think that that's a really good thing for a, for a new player or a casual player. Like, where you get this, you can buy a book and be confident that your army is going to be similar going forward. If you mentioned Ossiarch Bone Reapers, you know. I'm not even going to talk about Petrifex Elite for a while. Our, one of our greatest tools is that, is that artillery piece. If that artillery piece kind of like falls out of the the book competitively speaking, you're just looking at your book going, oh no, oh no, like 
I hope they bring some other stuff down now, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, other armies have that same vibe where you're where you're looking at it and you go, okay, if they change this, what's my army look like? And yep. is it shelved here now? Like, oh no, like that's a yep. that's a precarious situation to be in. I, I don't yeah. So and Dodgers of Cain, not in that there's way. no there's no kit that you could buy with daughters and be unhappy with it on the table, in my opinion. Uh, I think every kit there is going to be useful, uh, no matter how you build it. Um, there's no kit that you buy, put it on the table, and realize this is a, a waste of 120 points or 200 points or whatever. Or 60 bucks or 100 bucks. Like, you it, know, yeah, exactly. The, the yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's our, was it, almost 200 for Marathi? I don't even know what she's at now. Like, the, with the GW price hikes, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's great to see there's nothing that's wasted in the book. Right on, right on. Uh, real quick, uh, G Dad dropping a uh, uh, dropping a tier one sub for fourteen years of supporting uh, supporting me in AOS Raincast. So thank you so much, there, my friend, Lionerd, uh, little old, little new Lionerd, supporting me for two years. Thank you so much for that tier one sub. And Martin Orlando dropping a thousand RDP to remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to mess with, uh, and then receiving a gift sub. Uh, from G-Dev. So enjoy the emotes uh, there, there, Martin Orlando. Go across, go out and cross-pollinate all of the various uh, channels across the world and use, and be sure to spam my Nagash emotes. And be sure that people get the pronunciation correct when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Mars dropping uh, uh, five tier one gift subs to the channel. Thank you so much, my friend. Mm. There we go. Cheers. Um, yeah, so I, 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 uh, I like the DOK book. Um <laughs> I fear there's. I, I feel that there's some people looking at it with some envy. Uh, I get that feeling. Uh, I truly, truly, truly do. Uh, I too wish OBR were were dominant and 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 the terror they deserve to be. And everyone feared me just walking up to the table again. But uh, but yeah, no, no I I think it's really cool. I, I I think of it from the perspective of somebody who wants to play this, someone who wants to get in the army, and it makes me happy. Yeah, they're um, good. Uh, so. Um, I guess uh, I kind of skipped over the question I asked earlier. Why? What got you interested in DOK in the first place? Was it like the pure competitive edge, uh, was, or not pure competitive edge? Was it the, the purely competitive choice, or was it? Uh, was there something like I've got two armies sitting here; these are both going to be pretty competitive. I'm going to go with this one instead. Was there something that gravitated you towards DOK? Um, way back when, uh, when I got started with uh, Warhammer, I was a Dark Health player um, back in like you know the early 2000s. So I love Dark Elves. Uh, I'm Anxiously awaiting uh, Malarian's elves whenever they uh, decide to make their uh, their, their outing. If, if, if when and if that happens, man, uh, my bank account's gonna hurt. But uh, <laughs> when they when they released daughters, I was like, well, this is great. The the witch elves are back. That was like of the dark elves. They weren't my favorite faction, but I was like, okay. Let's let's take a look at this. I'd been playing Death for a while, and I was looking for a, a new army to play, and it was very different than how Death plays. So I was like, this is interesting. I was deciding between uh, Daughters of Cain and Ideneth because they both came out roughly at the same time and decided to go with uh, with Daughters. And so I bought the book, bought some models, started playing around with it. And then I uh, I decided I wanted to convert up some eels for my Daughters of Cain. I, I don't know why I decided this. I wanted six more Sargard in my Daughters. And I decided I didn't like the actual eels. So I took the, um, the Slanesh mounts, um, the Seeker mounts, mm-hmm. and cut the legs off, made them flying like eels. But then I wanted Spartans riding them because I thought that was really cool. And then I sat back and said, well, this is a really cool like kit. But if I did this on foot? And I was like, well, how would I do that? And found that Carrick Acolyte kit and realized, well, this could be a 
ridiculous project. What was originally going to be a, you know, just another army I put out on the table became this ridiculous conversion project that took well over a hundred hours end to end just to convert. And, uh, <laughs> I got, got way, I went way off the deep end with it, but it was, uh, it was a blast. It's, it started as just, I want to do a new army. And then I kind of just fell down the rabbit hole with it. Well, see, I mean, that's, what's interesting is like, uh, you know, to anyone in the Midwest audience ship, maybe again, our, you know, I, we're international. We have Australians and Germans watching the show. Um, yeah, the, the, the Midwest audience knows that like the Detroit Warhammer by reputation, you know, some of the best players in our, in, in our scene, um, but uh, it, it you have a reputation for being competitive players, and here you you walk away with this like hobby trophy and stuff like that, which I think is I'm very cognizant of the fact that I don't think competitive is like is a like it's a box like it's a box you check and then that's just what you are. I think that that there's different spheres to the game and that everyone kind of like stands at some point in that overlapping Venn diagram. And you're talking about this like intensive hobby journey. Um, what was that like when you did win your hobby award for them? Uh, I was super, super excited. Uh, I, I, I've been wanting to get out there with them to give them a shot at winning something. Um, but man, that was uh, seeing all that work come in to end. And uh, that, that, that blew my mind. I was super excited about it. And yeah. um, what was kind of fun is that, you know, we're all, like you mentioned, we're, we're kind of labeled as like a gaming club and a, and a hardcore uh, you know, top tables club and being able to get a hobby award just like to completely uh, change the angle to that narrative is awesome. And, you know, obviously you've got like Tyler and Andrea and a few of the other folks in the club, Al, Donnie, that are great painters and they have been, they're kind of known for that, but it was uh, mm-hmm. fun to, you know, get to step onto that pedestal a little bit. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and when you're winning hobby and in, Man, it, it feels like a little bit of an any, not at any given Sunday in the fact that, like, anyone can win it, but when you're going up against, like, Adam Trunzo, my friend Andrew Yells, like, Bryce, like, uh, yeah. Domus, uh, freaking Butch, like, all these just heavy hitters of hobby where I personally see all that stuff and I go, I might win it a one, I might win it a one dayer, but I, <laughs> like, I'm never going to win for any of my armies and I just get intimidated. Uh, and that maybe, and, and then you just, like, just, making the project because it was something it sounded like that really motivated you and was something you wanted to do and then still being able to like walk away with some some hardware on that front is i think that's really encouraging to people to just if you got a great idea execute see it through and see where it takes you yeah absolutely so so brilliant um another we got a little bit of a hype train going off here apparently oh boy. in chat gang <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much uh again mars um, yeah, so uh, I guess uh, so. This new book comes out. Um, you know, we 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 kind of all went into a little bit of stasis. I know that you know people playing in their own bubbles. You know, sure. maybe club night where you have people you trust to be healthy and, and show up and grind out some games. Um, but you probably get a little bit of time to like reflect. Um, and I mean, you've been selected now to uh, what is now the the event formerly known as ETC. The mm-hmm. two years in a row, obviously last year was a little bit of bust. Yeah. Awesome that you got to re-up, re-go again. Um, uh, so you're, you're going to that. You have some time to assess. You have some time to think about it. Hey, what's my tournament going to look like in the Midwest going forward? Yeah. Now i got to think about Worlds, too. Um, did the Are you still going to stick with Daughters of Cain going forward? Are you going to ch- use this as an opportunity to change gears? Um, or do you find your interest like revitalized because there's a new book, like a whole new book, and it's a whole new world? Like, what, what's that like for you? What are, what are you thinking? 
Um, I play a lot of different armies, to be quite honest. Uh, I've been playing Deepkin for the last six or so months, um, but I was playing KO for a bit before that. Um, before that, it was Ogres. Uh, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. Um, I, honestly, I'm always just looking for unique things to play. Mm-hmm. Um, Daughters is a great one. Now that the new book is out, I definitely want to give them a spin. Um, I don't know if I'll fully re-up and dive back into the army and take it for a full tournament run. Um, I have been like tempted to put another uh, you know, 40 or 50 hours of painting into it and just try to get them to maybe a painting trophy level, um, which would be a whole lot of work to do that. Um, but would be kind of fun to uh, compete for that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, well, first we got to get the, the tournament scene open in general, right? Right. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, yeah. hopefully we're in a place where we can do that this summer, but you know, we'll all see, um, you know, right now it's all, preparation for for worlds so it's really whatever the team needs me to play is what i will play um so you know i'm i'm gonna be playing around with a bunch of different things but um you know until we're done with that then you know that that's my hobby for the near future is just getting as many games as i can and learning different armies and doing research really right right um i got a couple questions off of that uh the first you've mentioned idk a few times now I got Are your IDK? Do you are you carrying that like uh, those fiend conversions into your IDK now, or are you going a different <laughs> direction? No, I. Uh, so Andrea was selling her. Uh, uh, Brad Andrea Schwant was selling her uh, IDNF, and it's this gorgeous uh, green, orange, and gray scheme. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like, I I had to buy that army. Um, <laughs> it was nice that it already had uh, twenty thralls, twenty reavers, and eighteen Morsar in it. It had basically all the toys that I wanted. <laughs> And then now I'm going back and adding things to it. So I'm copying her scheme and putting some sharks and a Leviathan into it. I added some Ishlan guard into it. So um, that's me trying to replicate her paint scheme and seeing how long it takes. And, well, it takes forever, <laughs> but it's, 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 it sure looks nice. Um, but yeah, that, that's just been a, a project where I, I've, I've always loved how I didn't have played and mm-hmm. I never had really a chance to, to try them out army came on the market i was like all right i'm treating myself <laughs> yeah there you go that's brilliant and so the the other sort of like half of that then was uh you mentioned sort of like preparing for worlds we need to get the sure. tournament scene open and i'm i get again i'm try i try to be optimistic with my hobbies and the things that make me happy even if i'm a bit of a pessimist in reality mm-hmm. um it, i i hope that the, i think we're going to see some tournaments in some capacity that's my optimistic take as the vaccines roll out and you know more people get vaccinated and we're, we're able to kind of reduce capacity mm-hmm. of tournaments be responsible play you know play play decently and just the sort of heightened social awareness right now i think that we just have of like public health and personal interact mm-hmm. you know, being just healthier with each other right um i'm confident that i think that, that this is going out out and maybe we, we uh, I think maybe we flip these a little bit because Worlds seems kind of pertinent to talk about right now. Cool. Um, with the rebrand of ETC, I guess, do you want to, I think you could explain that maybe better than I could uh, to to the audience here, to chat gang. Yeah, I mean, so, basically, um, uh, Warhammer uh, Fantasy, uh, which is now AOS, has been part of ETC, I think, for the last like 15, 20 years or so. I, I need to look at how long that's been. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ETC was the European Team Championship, um, and it was a uh, an event that was originally just between European nations, and it started growing beyond that. Um, it's a, a, a six-team event, so um, or a six-player event, so each team comes with six players, and um, you, know, you have a full matchup process. You play six rounds. It's a, a pretty uh, intense uh, 
multi-day event. Um, so basically over the last uh, year, you know, there was multiple cancellations due to COVID naturally. And um, I think the, 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 the 40K group decided to go their own direction to do their own uh, event. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not on the, the committee that made any decision. You know, we kind of go where it goes, but uh, the, the, the group decided they, uh, they wanted to kind of strike out on their own and uh, build up our, our own event. And then rebranding it as Worlds, because at this point you've got, uh, you know, uh, nations as far as, you know, Australia, Canada, United States, of course, Europe. Um, I don't think we have any representation from Asia yet. Uh, oh, no, we have Russia. Russia's there. So, um, but a good number of teams from all over the world and really is a worldwide event. Um, so it's really, uh, really pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean that's that's I mean it's it's super cool because it's it's almost like becoming like World Cup, uh, not World <laughs> Cup soccer. That's a lofty thing to compare it to. But I think about like the rooting interest of like like I just I I become I'm I'm a total homer for sports. Like I love all my Wisco teams. Sure, you know, rock my Bucks cap right now. Um, you can see the Green Bay Packer logo hanging up behind oh, yeah. me somewhere. Like so I'm like gigantic homer. And when that like you know, World Cup soccer type event rolls around or, or like the Olympics, I'm just like USA, USA. And I get like, I, I think it's fun because I think that for that, that rooting interest that's like inborn <laughs> geographically speaking is just fun to play with. Now you're bantering with like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trash talking like doom and darkness or, or, uh, <laughs> or, right. uh, or AOS coach or something like that on Twitter as this event's a, about to, to ramp up. I think that, that there's actually kind of like a, like a worldliness to it that that brings people together. You get a little bit of a rooting interest. You get to kind of jab a rib your some of your friends. Um, but I mean, it, it, it you are kind of representing you know U.S. Warhammer you know right now. Mm -hmm. What's that like being is your second time picked? Obviously, the first time kind of like fell through. But what was that like? Sure. You, know, you can go back to that first time like you got the nod and like okay now I got to go like game for America. You know <laughs> if aliens invade right and they challenge us to. <laughs> A Warhammer tournament for for like dom dominion over Earth. We got to send a team from everywhere in in Earth to go fight their like inter you know their monsters or whatever their intergalactic <laughs> like it's like like that documentary Space Jam right where yeah. we have to like defend our defend the world. Like you're you're on that team. Like you'll be playing the aliens right like for, <laughs> from. from <laughs> no, it, it was it was a pretty cool feeling. Um, you know, obviously I was super excited right when it happened, uh, but immediately after I, it kind of hit me of like, all right, the, the pressure is seriously on. I mean, when, when, like, like you just said, if you're representing the United States, um, you better not let people down. Right. Um, so the intensity with which you prepare and practice really starts picking up and, um, you know, it's not about like, not anything like, you know, winning at all costs or anything like that, but start starting to think through, um, every move that you make in the game or why you're doing what you're doing, or even should I bother playing this? Because is this really going to help the team? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll play whatever the team wants me to play. Cause that's what we need it. We need to do. Um, and there's just a, you stop really caring almost about your own personal hobby. It sounds kind of weird, but like um, the hobby becomes the, the team doing well and whatever it takes for that to happen is what you're going to need to do. See, I like this this vernacular you've used a couple times. Is like you refer to like the hobby or or a hobby, and you're using it in like that sort of broader, interesting sense. Like as a, you know that that the hobby becomes to to you know work for my team. The hobby becomes to you know yeah. do this. I really like that the way you're kind of like 
phrasing that. I just got, felt like that was important to point out here. Before I mention Hotspur resubbing for 10 years, Ooh. dropping 1,000 RDP to remind everyone that checking and nothing to mess with, and Soren dropping a gift sub to AOS Coach there. Thank you so much, Mad Lad. And Coach, I will trash talk you, buddy. I, I might even put like a... I might even put a little mini on the line that you have to paint for me when when AT, when uh, when Team USA does better than Australia at Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> See, Love it. Coming together. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let the trash talking begin. <laughs> uh, sword popping off, reminding everyone, chat gang, and none to fuck with. All right, there we go. You you, you earned the f bomb out of me, chat gang. You're welcome. You did it. Um. So, so like you said, the preparation kind of like ramps up, goes a little bit different uh, direction with, with, uh, you know, like prepping for something like, um, maybe do a little bit of a compare and contrast like this. Mm -hmm. So you're prepping for Midwest Meltdown or Adepticon, you know, you've got your club scene that you're probably a ton of games with versus, uh, I keep wanting to call it ETC, but, uh, versus worlds where like now you have, you know, like a a sort of nationwide team that's put together, like that goes pretty much coast to coast. And now you got to prepare and practice with them for this world's thing like what 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 type of things that you do you do in general to prepare uh what's different and uh, is similar between the, the sort of the two different ways you've had to prepare now yeah i mean at, at the end of the day uh, what you're doing is you're assessing what the the meta looks like what you think works well in the meta what doesn't what the strengths and the weaknesses are of the the top armies that are out there and then trying to figure out a way to address them right mm-hmm. whether you're doing that as a team in a six player format trying to solve that problem or whether you're doing that in a one player format uh, at a GT. It's a similar thing. It's a, um, it's a more complex problem when you're in a team environment uh, simply because you can skew further. So you can have um, these crazy shooting lists that don't do well in a, uh, um, in a GT, right? If you're at a five game GT, rarely will you get to more than four wins with a pure gun line. It just, it's hard to do because eventually you're going to hit something that you're going to hit item that just doesn't care about shooting, or you're going to hit something that's minus a million to hit and you're never going to hit it. Right. Um, but if you're in a team event and you have one of those lists, you can protect it and potentially pair it into the matchup at once for the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. And for six straight games, it's just shooting armies off the table. Um, and so that's something you have to be aware of and figure out how to get in there. And um, so the core part of it, where you're trying to figure out how to solve the game is still there. It just it adds a whole other layer when you get to the the matchup side of things. So um, I think there's still a whole lot of practice in it, um, but there's almost a second game, which is the, uh, the the pairing process. Which is for me, it's it's, it's a very new thing for me. Um, I've never been a part of a, a pairing process for a, um, a six person team, and it is and it, it it's its own game, uh, which is pretty pretty wild. Well, see, this is this is one of my favorite uh, details about the team format. So you have a six-person team format. Uh, essentially, you're bringing lists. You might have like a, yeah. a toolbox-style list. You might have like your anchor list. Uh, you mm-hmm. have like the sort of uh, uh, just from the some of the USA lists we've seen before. A lot they tend to have some really t- uh, techy or cheeky lists, which I think is really funny. Um, how American um, <laughs> creative solutions to creative problems, right? Um, but do you want to describe actually what that pairing is? I know I had Greg on before, but treat every episode like it's it's some sure. some viewer's first episode. Explain the pairing process of a team for someone that may not be familiar with that. Yeah, basically, um, you have three scenarios per round. Um, so your first two pairings are the first scenario, 
your second two pairings of the second scenario, third two pairings of the third scenario, right? Um, and then what it ends up being is that one team will put up um, two players, and then the other team will put up one player, and then now you have your, your pairing, and then the other team will pick which of those two players to play that single player. Um, so basically, you do this pairing process going back and forth, and it means that you might try to, to trap an individual player where, um, you know, they, they might have a, a, um, a, a list that you think is particularly weak for some reason, and so you try to present a pairing that they can't handle. Um, you might end up having to throw one away. Um, it's not uncommon for a player to get thrown under the bus and you get put into a matchup that you know you're going to lose. Like, there's just no way you're going to win it. Like, your goal is, can you get a point out of this round? It's a scored on a 0 to 20 scale, and can you walk away with a point? Maybe two? Then fantastic, you did your job. Yeah, the, the, um, the, the caboose roll or whatever, where you're yeah. essentially, you have a you have a player that you're, you are, like you say, you're throwing under the bus, and the whole the whole game of the the whole role of the caboose uh pretty much across the tournament is like to try to get more points than the other caboose out there yeah because you're, you're yeah you're... and it might change by round you might have a, a round where you just have terrible matchups across the board for one of your armies and you just throw it out there to try and draw some of those matchups early um and it's a process that i am not that experienced with so i'm still learning it like from the top really so it's been uh, it's been really cool to dig into um but it's really its own game because theoretically if you pair well enough um the game performance on the table matters a lot so does luck but you almost a third of how well you're going to play on the table is going to be determined by how good your matchup is mm -hmm. if you have an army that's just perfect at one scenario and it's far better than the opposing army even if that other player is twice as good as you, it's going to be very hard for them to get out of that, that like get out of that with a win. Mm -hmm. um, so pairing well is a is a super interesting part of the the whole event. So you keep mentioning like it's something you've having to been learned. Is this like Bill Souza's kind of coaching you on it? Do you have like Discord chats? Like how how have you like oh, yeah. approached learning this at all? Yeah, yeah. Bill Bill really runs that down. Uh, Bill and Greg and a few of the other guys, you know, they've done it before. Um, so they're handling more of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning it from a distance, but um, it's it's really the captain that does the pairing. Mm -hmm. So they have to be the, the mastermind behind it. It's, it's not that the team won't assist, but at the end of the day, at the event, it's the captain that's choosing the pairings. So it's going to be on them to, to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, I had Greg, uh, uh, Colorado Greg, as he's he's known, Sweet. known in... Uh known in discord i believe is uh he's he he was on the show a little bit ago we talked a little bit about like sort of his competitive streak from hockey and and how he, that communicated into, into warhammer and and yeah and his so he was sort of essentially an alternate or like more in the coaching role and now he's got his official bid to be on the team proper so i know that was pretty awesome for him uh getting picked for for the the the, the team itself going forward so um yeah i mean I'm I'm looking forward to it. As I said, uh, Coach, I await your inevitable defeat and the uh, and the <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. Um, yeah, like I like I love that nothing. We'll be ready. Yeah, go ahead. Like this is why sports are great. Like nothing I personally do. Like right now, I'm like, oh man, the Bucks lose every time I don't watch the game, and I'm I'm very aware. Uh, that they lost uh, the last game because I didn't watch it. And I'm like, see, I need to watch the game, and then they win. It doesn't matter. I love fan superstitions, though. They're fantastic. <laughs> Truly. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I guess uh, going back to tournament prep, 
Um, segue. Uh, going back to tournament prep. Um, so, like, uh, in general, when you, you prepare for, like, you, you okay, like, hey, I'm probably playing this army. Um, how do you go into, like, maximizing, like, learning that army, especially that sort of sure. competitive light? Um, does this involve a, a club night, grinding out games, re-racking? What's that look like? It's certainly a part of it. Um, I mean, for me, I don't feel like I know an army at all until I've had maybe 20 to 30 games with it. Um, there's there's players out there that can literally just think through an army and take it to a table and make it do that and be able to solve all of the problems on the table. Um, Adam Tronzo is one of those players where I, I don't think he plays a whole lot. He just thinks through it, shows up at the event, and runs it. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, I am not one of those players. Um, I almost have to make every mistake on the table until I... Um, until I learn what those mistakes are and not make them. Mm -hmm. So for me, I try to get in as many practice games as possible. Um, and I try to put my army and my list into situations where I'm not sure what it'll do, mm -hmm. whether that means it's a, you know, a coin toss situation or a situation where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, which means I will lose most of my practice games. Um, and I'll lose them badly. <laughs> my, my first like 10 practice games, it will usually be pretty ugly. <laughs> I'll get wiped off the table uh, because I'll just be like, oh, I wonder if I can do this. And then the answer is no, no you cannot do that. <laughs> and then I'll remember, I'm like, all right, don't do that. And through this process of finding all the stuff I can't do, eventually I figure out what I can do. Um, it's not very innovative. It's really just hitting my head against the wall until I figure out a good solution. But um, yeah, for me, it's just how many games can I get in? How many reps can I get out there? Um, so when it comes to our game nights, a lot of times we'll play two turns and then we'll get into position. You'll go through deployment. Um, you play, yeah, maybe two turns. And you get to a point where you're at kind of like almost a turning point in the game. And you're like, okay, if I win the priority, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I have a chance. If I lose it, I don't have a chance. Well, okay, well, let's just choose for me to win the priority then because we already know you've won if I don't get the priority. So great, I get it. Then we play it out. And then we realize, oh, I made a huge mistake. Okay, can we back it up? Like back out of all of those moves, let's try it again. Or a spell doesn't work. Yeah, but okay, what was the probability of that? It was one in 10 of that spell not working. Okay, pretty unlikely. Let's reverse that, see if it would have actually done what I thought. Um, this is almost like playing with with some some guardrails or some. You're actually yeah. like setting up the situations that you want to see and playing through them, which I don't think necessarily other players do in their practice games. I think some people think about like practice games as just like let's just play a real game of Age of Sigmar, you know, just all the way through, and sure. that's a practice game. But you're actually showing this purpose side of practice, which is I think significant. You know, you know the significance of like priority switches, the spells, and that's helping I think codify or ingrain some of those the impact of those decision makings yeah. and, and putting yourself in the position for the dice to even matter or be relevant to really help ingrain some of that. You have to know what you can expect a unit to do. Um, you have to know what it's expected damage output is, and you can put it into a calculator all you want. And that does give you a good baseline to figure out roughly what your army does. But for me, I find that when I put it on the table, there's a lot of units that don't quite perform, um, the way that you would expect them to, despite looking at the numbers. Um, whether that means their bases are too big and you can't get them all in combat. Um, or maybe there's a unit that has very small bases and so you can get them all in combat. You're looking at the scroll, it doesn't look amazing, 
and then you realize you got 60 of them in combat and it is actually pretty good um there's a lot of situations like that um i think not every game is one of these constant re-rack games that's for sure because learning your late game scramble you know when three quarters of your army is dead and you've got a hero on two wounds you've got a battle line unit with three models left and then a monster that's you know bleeding from 12 places and that's all you've got you've got a summoning pool but you can't place it anywhere figuring out how to play that game um that's important but at the same time a scramble game is very similar in my opinion from one army to another you might have slightly different tools but the number of pieces on the table are so small that scrambling is a almost a to me it's something that once you've learned how to scramble you can probably do it pretty well across most armies at least right i mean there's every now and then there's like the total backfoot army right but usually sure. for the most part yeah i mean this is this is where we joke uh we joke like you're going to start seeing the wizard bonks when you're scrambling like that's what that <laughs> that d3 wizard bonk is going to start battering and yep. you know now your ogre mage having that like that fat the what i like to call like a, a fat ass to use Magic the Gathering vernacular, having a fat ass or extra wounds, like suddenly starts to feel relevant. Um, yeah. I, I guess, how do you practice for scramble, do you think? Is that play the game to the end, get into the scramble? That's just like... going to the end. Yeah. And that's um, that's something where, so I, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. Like, I, I like doing the re-rack process, right? And getting through a lot of games in, in one day. But at the same time, there's a lot of value in playing a game all the way through. Um, even when you know the outcome or you think you know the outcome, you know, oh, it looks like I just lost this game. You know, it's turn th- bottom of turn three. You got all the objectives. I'm pretty far behind. It's still valuable to play those turns and see what you can do because you might actually be able to end up bringing the game almost all the way back and realize that if I had done this one thing on turn two, I could have won that game. Mm-hmm. Um, or what did I need to do in order to put myself into a position where had I won that priority in turn five in the game, um, that's like that's kind of like the second half. You have to know your like your strategic game, like what's your deployment, what's your early turn opening plan, um, what's your mid game plan to try to just win the game there, and then eventually you're gonna have to jump into scramble mode when both of you guys have uh, beaten each other bloody and <laughs> you're uh, you're playing with remnants to see what you can do. I, I like that you terminal uh, you sort of term it as opening mid and then scramble like those are like the sort of three sort of temporal segments of the game where that's how uh, I think of it at least yeah no I like that I think that's I think that's really um, really important like the mid game is where you're gonna try to like really take it home opening segments. that's where your damage is right um, your early game is positioning and screening and making sure that you don't give away your army in turn one or maybe turn two. And then turn two to three and maybe four is where you're trying to take out key pieces, do your damage, get positioning. And then turn four and five is where you're just locking down the objectives you have and, you know, making plays to, to lock up the points, maybe going for secondaries if your event has enough. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh... Oh, I see. Reset, uh, kicker resetting the guests we've got here. Um, right on. <laughs> um, uh, hey, Indigo Girls, welcome, uh, welcome to, uh, welcome to, welcome to the show. Um, and yeah, Kicker's got you. You started out there, so yeah, Jake, uh, top level player, um, one of the the Team USA for Worlds now, the event formerly known as ETC, um, and uh, just a 
top tier player with DOK ogres, IDK, KO. Really plays a, a you know he, as he's he's admitted a, a spectrum of, of stuff. So all over the place, really. All <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Um, no. Um, no. Excellent. Um, so we talked about re racking. I think most people yep. know what what we mean when we say re racking. Um, yep. But just in case, if, if this is someone's first ever episode, when we say re-racking, we're talking about, essentially, you, you play your deployment, you get to a point, and then you just reset and re and re, redeploy effectively. Um, Easier than ever on a tabletop simulator, too. You can actually save your position on it. <laughs> amazing. So if you want to play a lot of games in one afternoon, um, it's not as fun as rolling the real dice and moving real models, but... Uh, you can get a dozen games in in an afternoon on uh, TTS. So um, pretty incredible thing with uh, they, you can just save the game and then uh, rewind it to where it was and it moves all your models back to where it was. It's a, it's a pretty handy tool, like I say. <laughs> Do you find yourself internalizing the information out of TTS about the same as when you physically play a game or is there? No, uh, this for me, and this is like, there's some players that it is a, a, a direct analog. Uh, for me, the spatial awareness is very difficult in TTS. Um, measure everything perfectly, and you have ways of looking at the table from multiple angles and at different levels. Um, but the, it took me a long time to learn in TTS, do not eyeball distances. Because <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> like, you can do it in person because you've been you're used to it, but you cannot eyeball distances in TTS. Just don't do it. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, but the spatial aspect of it is a little hard, um, for me at least, to be able to estimate what a distance is. And obviously the solution is just measure it out. But um, it's a little different. Um, that said, I mean, when I can sit and watch two people play and see how they're fielding an army and see how they move pieces around, um, that's really interesting to me. Um, for me, the part of the game I'm trying to learn most is the strategic part of the game, which is really um, deployment. And then figure out what your high-level strategy for the game is. Like, you know, are you going to sweep from one side of the board to the other? Are you going to sit on your back foot, wait for them to come to you, and try to jump behind them? Like, what is your general plan, and how do you identify that quickly? Um, that's a part of my game that I haven't been great at. And so the way I've um, substituted for it is just play a lot of games and eventually stumble into a strategy that works. Mm -hmm. um, but there's players that can look at a list and know the strategy from top of one, even if they never played it, look at their opponent and, you know, they might make one or two mistakes across the game, but they in general know what they're doing and can play a fantastic game with almost no experience because of it. So there's a huge value in understanding strategically what, uh, what your army is capable of and what the plan is uh, for that list. Mm -hmm. So um, when you say, like, you, you keep uh, talking about, like, assessing the plan... Um, sure. So you're going to have sort of like a plan for like maybe a battle plan. You're going to have a plan for your army, stuff like that. Like, like how do you sort of assess what you need to like really practice when you're going in? Like knowing what to practice to, to land on a good plan. Like how do you, how yeah. do you assess that like at an, at an inception sort of level? Well, generally when I'm practicing something, um, I'm going to start with just the, some of the basic four objective scenarios because I want to reduce variables. Okay. Um, early on, I don't know the army and I don't know the list. So there's a lot of things I don't know. So let's keep the scenario simple. Let's not have one that's randomizing. Let's not have one that has weird victory conditions. Let's just do something that's four objectives, whether it's a diamond or a square, whatever. Um, that keeps the game 
roughly centrally located. So it's a it's a game of Age of Sigmar. Um, and gives me a chance to learn the parts that I don't know, which is how my army matches up against my opponent, what my list does, and what my rules are, right? Um, that's going to be my first four to maybe ten games, just to learn that, right? Then you start understanding what the list does, and you can start seeing some weaknesses in that list. Um, and then you start looking at, you probably started to optimize and tweak it and see like what you like, what you don't like, and um, what fits your play style, what doesn't. <clears throat> And at that point, you can start seeing if you're locking your list in of, of what, at least of roughly what you like, and um, you're going to see some scenarios that it's weakened. Maybe you don't have a ton of durable heroes. Well, there's three hero scenarios, so maybe you try playing a couple of those. I think I'm really bad at Hero Hammer. Um, I learned this with key, uh, KO. Um, I thought my KO were terrible at Hero Hammer, so I wanted to play that scenario a lot. I wanted to play three places of power because I was like, this is... This is an auto loss for me, I thought. I've got two five-wound heroes. This is terrible. What I didn't get until I put it on the table is that I can just put my army down, shoot all their heroes off, and the game ends. And I didn't understand that when I was writing my list, and I was looking at it, and I thought, well, I can't score. This sounds like a really basic thing, but this is something I learned by just repping it out. And when I realized that, I said, oh, I'm actually very strong in this scenario. Not in all cases, but in many. And then I it completely changed my approach to, okay, this is not a bad scenario. This is a good scenario for me. So maybe I should rethink what I think are my bad scenarios, right? That's an example. Or some armies, you build the best castle in the world, right? Nothing can break that castle. Maybe it's a, a fire slayer army where you've got, I don't know, three blocks of earth guard, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have tunneling or something like that. And then you get into a, uh, a scenario like Star Strike. <laughs> And you've got these unkillable blocks that might be in the complete wrong area of the table, and it doesn't matter how good they are, right? And then you realize, okay, maybe I need to adjust my list. And not saying that any of this is rocket science, right? It's just the process that you go through when you're seeing what is my list capable of, what is it not capable of, um, you know, understand what my weaknesses are, and what can I shore up? Well, I I think you're landing on something important, because we we tend to, I I think... Being a hobby game, I think a lot of people are like, okay, these models are cool. These are the ones I like. And, like, so they tend to, like, build an army, like, sort of, like, front to back rather opposed without, like, building the army, going forward, going back a little bit, changing it. Yeah. Going, you know, like, it's usually, like, a linear experience for people. And I think that it's very important to know that, it, like the models... Age of Sigmar is played in three dimensions, and the strategies that you're, the learning that you're taking on is coming in at three dimensions. You go through that progress linearly. Okay, we're going to play, I'm going to play my army, play my list, we're going to play Border Wars, like we're going to, you know, go through this, and then like, okay, I I like that you got to a point where you're like, I think I'm bad at, you know, Hero Hammer, I think I'm bad at these, these hero scoring objective games. And you got to a point where like, you've already gotten in your first like, four to 10 games, right? Now you're like reassessing, you're reevaluating your army's own weaknesses. Do is there something about my playstyle I can, can change? Like, oh, yeah, I I'm bad at scoring, but they if they can't score, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I just need like I just need a couple points and they and they have zero heroes. This reevaluating your weaknesses, uh is it a weakness of the army? Is it a weakness of how you play? And looking at those two things and then addressing them. You know, sometimes you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm you know, I'm I'm going to be weak at this objective. Like or this this battle plan. Well, let's hope mm-hmm. I dodge it, or my opponents, you know, 
worse, right? Like, or, you know, you get to that, that sort of like point where like you, you, you feel strong and that, that goes into the meta assessment where you feel strong about like, okay, I've got, I've got in my, my prerequisite games. I've learned this army. I think I know it pretty well yeah. inside and out. I know what my weaknesses are. I'm either comfortable with them or I can compensate. And then at some point you got to play the game of Age of Sigmar, right? Yep. Um, we got a question here from Indigo Girls. Jake, from all your armies games, do you find yourself gravitating towards certain lists or strategies? Um, so I have learned that I'm not great at like using alpha strike armies, which is funny because I'm just talking about how I play eels and KO. So people are going to look at me like, what are you talking about? Um, I am a reactive player. Um, and I didn't realize this until I played daughters. Um, daughters works really, really well for my play style because it was a very reactive army. I could let my opponent do things and then wait to see what the openings they left me were and then play on that. Um, my brain works very well uh, in that way. Um, I'm a very strong tactical player, meaning if I'm presented with two choices, I will likely make the better choice. But if I'm stepping back and there's a string of 40 choices I have to make, that's very difficult. So I'm trying to figure out how to get there. That's what I'm working on personally. So like the, the thing about the Alpha Strike armies is unless you can take off their entire army in one go, um, you have to be really, really smart about what when you commit and when you stay back. And that's why I wanted to play Ideneth so bad is that it was something that I was not familiar with. Um, that if you make a mistake, you just get... Um, get wiped off the table, right? Or if you put yourself in a bad position, you're just not going to lose or you're just not going to win. Um, so for me, that's a, a, like, it's it's a more difficult way to play, but I'm learning it. Um, so I think in general, I'm more of a reactive player rather than a, some players just love alpha strike armies. I know Brad is all about that. Um, he likes armies where he can take top of first or he's an aggressor army because he likes to just, take control of the game, you know, put his hand around its throat and just drive it home, right? That's his, his angle. Um, and I'm more of a reactive player personally, so um, that's a style of army that'll work better for me. Yeah, in Magic the Gathering, we call it the beatdown and the control. Um, yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a control player, too. Um, I like to see the game unfold. This is why I like... Yep. Uh, I like death because they play sort of a methodical game. They tend yep. to like you're you're a grinder. You're just sort of setting the trap and closing it, and yep. and then and just grinding your enemy down. And That's why uh, Nagash played very well for me as well. Yeah. Um, Nagash. I mean, Nagash and Reavers was pretty darn broken. Not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> but that army just it, it it worked very well for my place. I understood how to put it together and mm -hmm. how to string out the units and block up my opponents. How to shut off the right units at different times so right 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 yeah um yeah cool um let's see we we're talking about I, I like that you talked about play style do you think having a, a particular play style like harmonizing with certain armies uh like when an army like sort of synchronizes with your play style do you find mm -hmm. yourself playing it better uh, is that like oh, playing yeah. your strength yeah okay yeah there's um so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to try to shore up your weaknesses, right? I mean, obviously, I'm trying to do it. Um, that's more just I want to challenge myself. Right. Um, but um, there are certain players that if you look at the armies they play, they always have a trend. Um, and whether it's conscious or unconscious, those players know what they like, and they keep gravitating towards it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll go back to... Um, Adam Tronzo, actually, because he and I were talking about this at Wapaka. 
Oh boy, this is over a year ago now. Um, but yes, if you look at the, I, played in. I know, right? Same. Um, and the, a lot of the armies he plays, they don't present a large single target. He doesn't like a single unit that does things. He doesn't want to sit there and have the play the the three threat build, which is a common thing that we do in Detroit. It's like build an army that has three threats, um, and then you're in a good place. He likes to have a dozen very minor threats. Mm. And he likes to be able to get all over the table and play the movement game and just dodge, 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 do a little bit of damage, like death by a thousand cuts. It's how every build he's built has really been. I mean, his Skaven with the Storm Fiends were a little different, but um, if you look at the different armies, whether it was the, the Wood Elves he was playing, or the Seraphon, they all followed this, um, this, this evasion movement and control style. Um, so he's a player that does that, and he's very, very, very good at it. Super cagey. Um, his, his scramble game is fantastic. And he just, he learned that, whether consciously or unconsciously, and decided, I want to scramble for an entire game. And he's <laughs> won a lot of games because he scrambles from turn one. Um, he, I'm sure he wouldn't refer to it as scrambling because um, it, it's, it's, it's a very w- good way to play. I mean, the guy has won a ton of tournaments. Uh, he goes 5-0 and all the time. He's, uh, he nearly took out Adepticon the other year. Yeah, um, and second, it works. Second in Adepticon, yeah. uh, the, the last Adepticon that we had. It's an example of playing to your playstyle. And not. I, I don't know if I have my head wrapped around what all the playstyles are um, with how big of a game AOS is and how quick it changes. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of playstyles. But if you can figure out how you like to play, what kind of units you like, like if you keep gravitating to those units that can teleport, then there's something to that. Then you like that and that's not a bad thing it's just i think it's funny when somebody goes from one book to another and they end up choosing the same units again it means that that's what they're gravitating gravitating towards that's their style and that's naturally how your brain works so sometimes you just lean into that and figure out what army maximizes that and you'll see natural synergies between you and your the way you think and how your army plays on the table it's just like natural synergies between units is that if your brain works the same way that the army is written then you're going to be in good shape. Right on, right on. Yeah, uh, your your uh, your club mate here, Nuke Doctor, saying shout out to Adam Trunzo. Some of the best games I've played were against him. Yeah, shout out to yeah. Trunzo indeed. The, he's uh, one of those those players that like uh, you know I kind of admired from afar from a little bit because you know when you're first getting into the tournament scene and you do have like a mind for competition and enjoy tournaments and stuff like that from the angle I came in at from, which is like I'm not used to like hobby and community and stuff like that. I'm I'm used to like if I lose if I lose two games like dropping out of the tournament and playing in a side event like that magic mentality that I've tried really hard to get rid of because it it's kind of douchey. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um I I think I I think I've cured it now. I think it's been like 3 or 4 years going on 4 years now. I I've, I've cured it. I'm fixed now. I'm okay, everyone. <laughs> um but uh but like I remember, you know, looking at, I'd see Trunzo's name showing up. I'd see his lists on like uh, the TGA forums. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd see, uh, you know, I saw Brendan's because uh, he won Best F at Adepticon, like right around the time I was looking at the stuff. I remember seeing these players and like kind of admiring them from afar and being like, "Hey, wait, I might actually run to these people at tournaments." And like, and then like Trunzo, you meet him and you, I'm like, "This is this is kind of like everything I want to be as a Warhammer player." He's like the trifecta of of like just a great great person great gamer and a great hobbyist he is for the, sure display boards are, are breathtaking so sh- serious shout outs to him um he was doing display board commissions at one time i don't know if he still is um 
it was a maybe it was a year or two ago that he was starting to crank some of this out. Those were really cool. He did a display board for um he he uh, actually volunteered to do a display board for for the the Rantathon that I did last year where we raised cool. for mental health. So that was one of the grand prizes. Is he's, so um, I didn't t- check back in with him to see how that went, but there's a whole shadow council that like has taken over now. Like I'm just a face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Indigo Girls pop the earbuds in, hoodie up, MTG. Yep, grinder strat. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I used to malign that uh, rabbit hole one of the evening. Sorry about this. Uh, I used to malign that, but then I realized like some people do have like you know sort of uh hidden disorders or something like that like you might be dealing with somebody who isn't super comfortable in in a uh in a social you have thousands of players at an at a at a, at a gp or, or uh like a grand prix or, or or a pro tour qualifier thousands for age of sigmar and that's legacy that's the less popular uh than standard version that i played like they um you know, you might have someone that that like might be on the spectrum or has a difficulty around around strangers and stuff like that. So I used to malign the MTG like guy with hoodie and headphones and doesn't talk to you guy. Um, I've since gone back and kind of reassessed that, and I, I like I'm not going to make fun of it anymore. But it is a stereotype. It's a funny stereotype. Um, you get this like, hey, it's a douchebag, and it's maybe they just don't like they're not comfortable around people. That is a, a strength of Magic the Gathering that I don't often talk about because it's way fun. It's way more fun to make fun of Magic uh, when you have a show. But I, I could, I don't know that I could play Age of Sigmar with somebody I can't talk to, let alone someone from like Japan that doesn't speak English or something. Whereas I had perfectly great games of Magic the Gathering with people who didn't, we didn't share a common language sure. whatsoever. You know, like yeah, this it's one sided. It's, it's not not that it's like not interactive, but. When you do your thing, your opponent can't stop that or inter- or be involved in it. Yeah, there's there's interrupts and you know you have, sure. uh, yeah. have instants and stuff like that. But the thing is, is like you put the instant on the table, they don't say anything to you. They put an instant down. You check what their thing is. You're interacting with the stack and you learn a, just enough common language with like rules mechanics. I don't know that I could do that yep. with Age of Sigmar. Um, I uh, I had a game on in a TTS tournament a couple weeks ago where I was playing somebody from uh, from Team Spain and. Um, he didn't speak. He, I would say, he was probably fluent in English, but didn't know all of the words in uh, for for Warhammer, right? And so he had a translator. And so we're trying to play not face to face over TTS through a translator. And then, of course, at the end of the game, a super complex rules interaction comes up. And it was it was hilarious. We we worked through it. He was a great guy. Um, it was an awesome game too. It was the bottom of turn five is when that ended, but it was, it basically came down to a Leviathan charging a unit of um, sisters of the watch that can stand and shoot. But I had another item at the unit close enough to them that they couldn't shoot the Leviathan because there's another unit closer to them, but then the Leviathan got within three. And so they couldn't shoot the other unit either. It was a weird interaction, but explaining <laughs> that through a language barrier, which is a very complex rules interaction I was dreading it. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. Like, he's going to think I'm trying to pull one over on him. But then his teammates jump in the channel, and they're like, no, this is what's going on, and they explain it. And everybody was really cool about it, and it, it worked out really well. But that it's just an example of in Age of Sigmar, when you're not face-to-face, and you might not be sharing a full common language, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be difficult. And at, at Worlds, English is the common language. It's a, the required language of the table. But that doesn't mean that someone's a native English speaker. You know, mm-hmm. there's native, then fluent, then you know, working 
is you know the different levels of fluency and um, even if you're fluent you know english is such a ridiculously complex language that you might not know the interactions like um you know retreating and you know piling in like you might not use that terminology and it's uh makes things a whole lot more difficult well i i saw um i, I can't remember who did the tweet um, I, I was reading a retweet of whoever did the initial tweet of, of some rules sure. writer talking about when they started Age of Sigmar, like the the command from on high wasn't was to write rules like prose and not in rules language. And some this isn't a thing bad or thing good. I think that like the internet makes mm -hmm. makes makes a tweet like that, and then like I'm like now you're gonna have sides form on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, and I'm <laughs> like this is this is I'm a little bit more nuanced than that on Rantcast. Y'all know this uh, chat gang. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 it, it was a eureka moment for me, actually. And this, this ties into what you're saying in that, like, you're writing English prose, not rules language with, with, with proper nouns capitalized of situations. Mm. Like, you know, pile, a pile in isn't necessarily codified language where it's in capitals, yeah. bold letters at all times in every translation yeah. of the book. Whereas, like, tapping to attack in magic would be like, you know, it's have the Japanese text and then it has the little thing for tapping. And like, yeah. that means to tap the card and that's what it is. Is so you have someone speaking like total Japanese. I played more like Japanese and a lot of Japanese and German players when I was gr a magic grinder. Uh, so I keep going to those two, those two languages. Um, so you play someone like they'd be like speaking like total German the whole time or, or Japanese and then tap and like, you know, so they, and then just like this, this mm -hmm. English word would, would come in there. You don't, necessarily have that in Age of Sigmar because it is that like sort of top down they want it written like prose and again this isn't a thing good thing bad I think we always talk about how like magic magic has the better rules and Age of Sigmar has bad rules and I'm like I'm like I don't I don't think that's a useful metric this is again I'm working through this right now this is this has been a eureka moment for me in that like yeah you're right they are written like prose and so I've had to like kind of go back and I'm like does this mean I like them now? <laughs> like, because what happens when you write your rules like prose is the flavor of the game. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have to find a different word for every standard bearer in the whole game, because you can't say this unit has a standard bearer, that's that's a bar that's a barrier to, to the rules, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that the unit captain in my Ossiarch Bone Reaper's Mortec guards are Nekaphoros. That's so much more metal than, like, the command <laughs> unit, right? Like, and and so, like, I'm going through, and, like, rules are more than just, like, a series of if-thens to help us. There are, they're the language that the designers use to communicate their game to us and how they think we should play it. It's a dialogue between designer and player. And there's something to be said for concise and, and clear and straightforward, you know, sterile rules that that are beyond contestation beyond inter misinterpretation magic has complications too by the way um but there's also something to be said for the flavor of your world also coming from your rules that's kind of interesting to me that a game they wouldn't have to have a single black library novel and you still have an idea of what warhammer the world of warhammer is like just from how they write a rule and that's something pretty special because they go that more pro. It, it, this is just something I've been thinking about, like these last couple weeks since I seen the tweet. It's not to say that rules can't get better. Um, oh no, 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 one hundred percent. It's a it's a very different game. Um, the product of Age of Sigmar it, it is not Magic: The Gathering, and, and ultimately, 
it really can't be. Magic the Gathering is, is a 2D game. Right. Um, that's, that's, and that's not knocking. It's it's two dimensions, right? Whereas Age of Sigmar, the way it works is a three-dimensional game, which makes it far more complex as far as how movement interaction is and um, precision. A model can get bumped. That's a thing. Um, and that makes it very hard. If, if a model gets knocked over and you put it back up, was it a quarter inch closer? <laughs> and that might change a game. It might make a charge. Yeah. Um, so it's uh it's it's not as precise of a game but in a way it's kind of also fun because of that well there's a little bit of like that like embracing the chaos and like leaning into the wind and you feel like you're like navigating the wild seas and you can do that proficiently and <laughs> i um, mean at the end of the day we're, we're playing toy soldiers right <laughs> um this isn't we're not playing this for money and, and honestly if if there ever was age of sigmar for money i don't think i'd ever want to play it i, I don't i don't want any part of that game um you know, I, I, it, this this game isn't really built for that kind of competition, in my opinion. I know that's a, a big tangent, but it doesn't it doesn't really work like that. I, I think it's beautiful when it's not there. There aren't those giant prizes. So it's just people playing for the love of the game. It's the know? passion. Yeah, it's the passion game. Like there's yeah. Age of Sigmar is, and, and I, you know, you talk about like we talked about earlier, but I don't like to like be like, hey, co com it's a competitive player. Then you just check the box, and it's just a modifier <laughs> that they have all over their. They're like, it's just the stain that they have on their existence or whatever. <laughs> uh, like no, because even the competitive players, there's a reason they're here in Age of Sigmar versus another game. Um, and to me, it's it's that it's because it's that passion. Like th there's there's a passion through and through. Even if you don't consider yourself a great hobbyist, you are kind of painting to get to the table with it with an army. You still have that like I'm putting in this time, you know. Yeah. Like I'm putting like sure you can commission, fine. But like time is money, and ha, gotcha, checkmate. Um, <laughs> like, like uh, you you're you're still putting in the amount of time. It's got to be worth your time. Your grinding games takes more time. There are things out there that pay better, take less of your time, and are pretty approachable that you mm -hmm. could go into if you wanted to really get into like a competitive scene and like you know, you know, just just wash noobs all day long. Like there's 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 a game for you. Um, Age of Sigmar is a passion project at every I think every level. You know, even you know brad's a little bit of a conundrum to me because i'm like what's your favorite army and he's just like mercurial and, and evasive i think it's zinch i figured out like it might be zinch but uh <laughs> but like for the most part everyone's had like you you've uh, mentioned some you know elves right like dark elves and you've, you've talked about yep. that sean's got a fan of death like oh, so yeah. so everyone you know trunzo loves his rats like most competitive players i know in this game still have their leaning they might migrate off their yeah. army for a while Take well, a field trip, you know. Yeah, yeah. You got to go to the vacation home. Just saw my thing here. Um, you you got to go to the vacation home every now and then. You got to go to the beach house, you know, get away from, from an <laughs> army that you're grinding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, everyone like even one of the, my main sort of objectives when I started doing this show was to show that like you know the game isn't these hard lines between types of players so much as it is like overlapping spheres of mm -hmm. interest. And some people. Some people out there are super competitive about playing the game of Age of Sigmar, but also super competitive about painting. And some people are super casual about like playing the game of Age of Sigmar, but really competitive about their painting. Like you have, like you know, you know, there's people out there who want to win narrative contests for writing stories about their armies. Shout outs to Doug Two Plus Tough. <laughs> like, <laughs> like 
like co- again, competitive is like <coughs> it, it feels like people draw the line in the sand between a competitive and co- casual, as if that this is, you know, I think that there is a you know there's a competitive approach to the game, or like hey, I I go into this wanting to win or wanting to win hardware, which is even yet a different gear. There's a gear between I want to go, I want to have a winning weekend, and I want to walk away with hardware, right? There's a gear between those two, but <laughs> but again, I I just uh. I think when you look at a uh, an event, and it's kind of almost goes back to our preparation. You have to kind of step back and decide what do you want to do, like what's your goal for the event. And I've heard other folks on other podcasts say this too, but like you know, figure out what you want to do. Like, um, do you want to try to win that event? That might not be reasonable on your first go, but do you want to try to win more than you lose? Okay, that's a a, a fine goal. Or if you've done that for a few events, do you want to try to go four and one or four and two or do you want to try to go for the five and oh, always takes luck, but like there's different levels of preparation or do you want to go and take a, a, a weird army to the event and be that hero that goes four and one with like beasts of chaos. Right. And you just, you just brought all this garbage. You just dump it on the table and people look at it like, what does this thing even do? And then at the end of the game, they're just sitting there with a thousand yard stare on trying to figure out how they just lost that What just game. happened? Even yeah. though they tabled you in two turns, somehow yeah. you've got a goat in each corner of the table and, You've won, um, you know, or, or are you there for, you know, hobby and converting and, and painting? Like, those are all very valid things. But even when you zoom in on the gaming, there's so many different ways to look at it. Like, um, you know, when I took that that ogre army, ogres are by no means bad. They're good. Um, but in the meta that I took them to, Wapaka, that was during the continued reign of Petrifex Elite, bringing a bunch of ogres with no rend was not a good plan against three plus three rolling <laughs> saves. I mean, come on, that was not a good idea. Um, but for some reason, I was like, I, I, I want to take a couple of Griblies and just drive them into big units. I thought it was going to be fun. And I mean, it, it, it ended up being a blast. Um, you have different goals for different events and you do different things. Like I still have on my bucket list, I want to build up a beast of chaos army and I want to take it. I want to see if I can go four and one somewhere. Yeah. So chaos dwarves to Michigan GT went four and one, a nearly beat the daughters of cane player, uh, Anthony who's also on our team. Um, and I nearly beat him, um, through absolute jank. I had no business winning that game. Um, and I did not win that game. Um, but just by winning the right priorities, I was, I managed to stay in the game the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that was so fun playing against the boogeyman of the meta, which is this, wild daughters of cane army with this pile of garbage basically that was my legion of asgore and staying in the game for four turns and only watching it slip away in at the turn five priority i was like yeah that's pretty fair that made my weekend right yeah. uh, it's a different way to approach events like maybe that's you know, that can be more fulfilling than winning the whole thing sometimes I think there's something to that. I, I think there really is. I mean, preparation begins with setting your expectations, right? And realistic yeah. expectations are important for growth. If you have unrealistic expectations, yeah. you're going to fall short. You're going to get demotivated. Incremental growth. You got to think about that. Right. That's why I'm always pointing, like pinning what I want to do. Like I'm trying to still learn my strategic game. This is going to be a multi-year process for me to get better at that. Hmm. Um, but understanding what are my steps. Like I want to be less uncomfortable in deployment. I want to be, I don't want to feel like I'm confused at the top of turn one when I have the turn. Like I don't want to be debating what I'm going to do. I want to have my plan set or whatever that is for that tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter what your goal is for that tournament, whether it's win three games, whether it's not lose all of your games, whether it's 
you know, take a janky army and try to go four and one. Um, there's preparation you can do for all of that to try and maximize, you know, any list and any army you've got. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what are some prep preparation you'd, you'd suggest for as someone who's taken some janky armies four and one? What were some things that, that helped you get ready for, for doing that? Did you have to learn um, the meta? Was it just like, like a prayer and like, <laughs> like well, luck? First off, what helped me most were my matchups. Uh, I got lucky. I got very lucky. I played the Boogeyman. I played like Slanesh. I played a few other armies, but I didn't play like the hardest varieties that were out there. So I'll be honest, I got good matchups. Um, I had no business going four and one. I should have gone three and two. Um, but in that that tournament, I, I played against uh, Slanesh. I played against uh, Nagash. played against Skaven, uh, Daughters of Cain, and I can't remember the other one, but it was like, it was a ringer of like, if you looked at the allegiances, you're like, those are the, the scariest allegiances that were out there. The builds were slightly off, but with my army being underpowered, it sure, I sure felt it. But when I was looking at the list build, I was first trying to figure out, with this army, are there any diamonds in the row? And with Legion as where there actually are, a lot of their scrolls are fantastic. What they don't have is the internal synergy that like takes them to that next level. Yeah, those force the multiplier. scrolls themselves. Yeah. yeah, if you look at their efficiency, they're incredible. Um, Kadai are amazing. Uh, I can't believe you don't see them more often. It's just very hard to get them into armies because it's either mixed chaos. Um, it could be uh, Legion of Chaos Ascendant, or it can be uh, Legion of Asgore. But I mean, it's a, a four-wound ethereal unit that runs and charges, has a three-inch reach, and has five damage D3 attacks. I mean, the, and for 480 points, you get 12 of them. You have 48 wounds of that. <laughs> it's scary. Um, so that was like one unit that I had. I was like, all right, I have to have one of these. Had a little bit of shooting. But then I looked at it and said, all right, if I play against Slanesh, I just lose. You know, someone's going to come in and farm my Kadai for depravity. So that's where I was like, okay, I got to get janky here. <laughs> and I alleyed in a Beastman Shaman and got the, uh, the, the, the Wildfire Taurus for the Strikes Last. And I was like, all right, I'll, uh, I'll play your Activation Wars game. <laughs> it's not going to work, but I'm going to shoot a bowl at you. Well, there's I I uh I love Beasts of Chaos. I I really do because you're talking about like diamonds in the rough. Wildfire Taurus is one of those like dumb equalizers, and unlike other uh, other endless spells that don't blow back on your stuff, it 100 percent blows back on your oh, stuff. Yeah. And when you're playing Beasts, <laughs> it doesn't just blow back; it does D6 to every one of your units, and then Battleshock wipes them out. Uh, <laughs> we had so for our team, one of the practices that we had before everybody was in the team is kind of like a tryout. Um, we were all assigned armies. We were assigned the worst armies in Age of Sigmar. And it was like, it was a who's who of what the worst books were. And it's like, that's what you have to play in this tournament between us. And so here's your pile of garbage. Good luck. So I got beasts. And so I played 14 practice games with beasts to try to figure out how to make these things work. I watched that army just completely collapse in the most comical ways. It was so fun and so frustrating. It's, it's, I, thought, I thought I had this beautiful plan set up, and then my bowl would go the wrong way, go straight through the center of my army, and half my army implodes, and it's over. Well, what's funny is, like, you just, like, it's just like when I'm playing that army, it, I feel like a beautiful mind. Because, like, I'm just looking at the table, and, like, all the equations are showing up, and I'm like, okay, so, like, 10 it. Yeah. 10 inches here uh, plus uh, okay screen these out get about 20 inches four inches on either side all right and then 20 inches here and just making these weird convex like convex yeah. shapes where like okay you're gonna kill it it's dead uh but like you have to take a turn to kill it and like yep. 
the problem is is when people have pile in shenanigans and stuff and then oh, like, yeah. it starts to fall apart really fast well it's uh it, it's one of those armies it, i i i know it's really bad and it's a meme right now but i keep looking at it and i'm like there's a lot of tools in that book um such great it has it has a, a a rend spell no one seems to know this as a boost rend by one spell yeah and it's that's it's, sweet yep it has a reduced saves by one spell as well. That's in addition. It also has a reduced saves aura from its uh, piece of terrain as a fight last spell. Um, it has all these tools. It can ally in slaves to darkness, which you can do all kinds of ridiculous stuff with. Um, it has one of the best, uh, the little war bands. Um, with the Crash track is great. Hit. Yeah, plus one to hit. So, and yeah. it's not keyworded. It's it, You cast yeah. it on the unit, so it works for yeah. like allied stuff. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of like cool little things. Bestigors on paper are, are very very good. It's, on the table, not as good. <laughs> running them in MSU, they work a lot better. It's it's it, the four inch pylon helps a little bit, but those thirty two mils just yeah. Give, they they do a lot of damage. I was taking them in twenties, and I don't think they're even worth twenties. But um, has a lot of one drop armies. Um, you can do a lot of one drop builds or two drop builds and really put your opponent in some weird situations. It's a weird book. It's one of those books that if it gets a little nudge here or there, or the the, the game meta changes just slightly, I think well, it could become good. It's just, it's not quite there. That's where, like, when it was, when um I took it to Holy Havoc and uh, did not lose a game, um, we, uh, uh, we you guys, I think you, your team won Holy Havoc that uh, that year. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the year where it was, um, I had uh, Chaos Dwarves, yeah, it's Chaos Dwarves and um, oh, and Beasts. Yeah, yeah, it was it was yeah. Beasts and Chaos Dwarves. Yeah. yeah, we were Beasts of Chaos and uh, and Maw Tribes. Uh, Heywa was bringing Maw Tribes, and we didn't lose a game. And uh, like uh, the jank I was I was putting down on tables, like someone's playing like like it was it was really funny, and just like I don't think I summoned once, even though I had like I could desert. I didn't summon. I brought my. My uh, my Manticore. I'm like I'm gonna summon a Manticore. That's the goal <laughs> for the weekend. I'm gonna summon a Manticore, like because these things are cool. Like they, I think they reroll charges or they have an extra die on the charge. Something they like get that. plus two. Plus they two. Get on the a charge. native plus two. Yeah. They're a great summon. Yeah, great. If you summon them by a hero. It's a free rollable seven. That's not. Yeah, I'm like this is a great. I'm gonna summon one because I can like I can rush it out turn two. Like I just summoned fucking Ungor all weekend. <laughs> like. Oh my it's so good though for three points to summon even a 10 ungor you can sack your own ungor for d3 basically for every two ungor you kill you you crap out an extra unit and i mean i know when i was playing uh our, was our, our, our tournament um it was often every single turn i was putting 10 ungor on the table and it was so frustrating for my opponent because they were just ripping the heart out of my army and then i just pop up on the objective and like this is mine yeah, yeah. Oh, because it's, it's so bad. Within six, because uh, holy within six inches with uh, some of this, like if you have your twelve inch in, you'll exactly capture on on most battle plans. So I'm just like, you don't have enough coverage to stop me from doing this. It's just like when you're running like all herd and like uh, so you can burn all my CPs became <laughs> yep. summoning point. I was just like, yeah, crap I, it I, I I I missed that um, the aether Quartz brooch. Yeah, and that the was knowing funny. eye combo with the all herd and just like. Just every time you spend that command point, it keeps coming back. Yep. And before you know it, you summoned 20 <laughs> units of goats all over the place for no reason. <laughs> I ran out of and models. And you just to... kill them all, and you're like, oh, great. Yeah, uh, well, well that they, was fun. they could only be in so many places. I remember playing against uh, playing against uh, 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 Mike, 
uh, Sardonic Mike or um, uh, from Indy. I was playing against him, and uh, he was on his like orcs, and I just like kept baiting his like baiting his army in two different directions because like he couldn't he could, he had this like just you know like kick your ass ball crusher that could just table me, but like he couldn't stop me, and all I needed was for Haywo to distract him slightly. <laughs> like and keep him off my herdstone for a second, and he did that, and then it was just like, okay, uh, I'm gonna contest this objective, that objective, and that objective, and just like just sitting there, like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh no, it's way dead. Like I w- don't even roll dice; I'll take it off the table. It's gone. <laughs> I remember doing that. Yeah, <laughs> no, please remove that. I, I I can't stand the sight of them anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some fun stuff. Uh, so uh. Uh, Nuke Doctor uh, mentioned something in here, uh, losing a lot of practice games, which is the, you know, yeah, yeah. ways to prep. My but- moniker for sure. It's usually Sean. <laughs> it's, it's, it's whipping me side to side. He's like, man, this army sucks. <laughs> um, but also- no, it's me. I suck. <laughs> You just, you just brute, like, you are, you are like, uh, you're like the, I don't know if you watch anime, but you're like the Rock Lee of Age of Sigmar, <laughs> where, like, just practice, 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 you're just a genius of practicing, you know, like, that's your skill, that's how you're able to, like, keep up with people who, uh, who cast spells and have magic abilities helping them right. get better at Age of Sigmar. Um, just practice a lot, lose a bunch of games, and eventually you'll get great. Um, I know, right? Eventually figure out what not to do. Right. No, I mean, practicing with a purpose, I think, is one of the big, that's, like, the... That's one of those those parts that I think most people need to unlock. Just grinding games is useful. You, I oh, mean, yeah. as a requisite, I would just play 10 games with your army, period. Sure. It's a great start. You know, that's like a great starting point. Anyone can kind of get that. That's a approachable. Um, I want to play 10 games with this army, right? You know, and then once you get that those 10 games in, then you start that purposeful, like, okay, re-racking on your deployments if you notice you've lost a deployment. Mm-hmm. Like, that's when you start engaging some of that other stuff. One of these things has also kind of come up a couple times is, like, we keep talking about boogeyman armies. I think it's so important to play against boogeymen. It, yeah. it's, it's very helpful that you're you're in you're in the Detroit Warhammer Club. You have a lot of, like, you know, you have a good variance of people around you to play uh, against, you know, like, okay, I'm going to play against Brad Slanesh. Let's, let's see that, yep. you know, like, what's this Slanesh going to look like if I run into him at the tournament, let alone somebody else playing Slanesh. Um, how important do you think it is to, to play against Boogeyman, and how do you pr- approach like playing Boogeyman with, say, okay, you are bringing one of your trash armies, or you are bringing an army where you traditionally lose against that Boogeyman. How do you yep. get meaningful practice out of playing against Boogeyman so that when you run into them at a tournament, I mean, you're not as intimidated and you kind of know how they work, to know how to disrupt it? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is to understand how the book works, right? Like, um, you know, if you're afraid of Fire Slayers, well, go get the book. And read it top to bottom. Just understand how the interactions work. Understand what triggers the abilities. I mean, the easiest part of it, that's the really straightforward part, is look, if the heroes aren't alive, they're not getting a four up, right? Um, but that, that's an example, right? Um, but when it comes to an army that just can't beat them, so let's say I'm trying to take Beasts of Chaos versus uh, Fire Slayers. That is a matchup I will never win. Because those Fire Slayers, if they're in Harmdar, they have always strikes first. I charge them, I die. Mm-hmm. That, that's it and then they charge me i also die and then slowly <laughs> they just roll me over and so i immediately have to think about that as okay i can't fight in combat i can't kill them and i can't survive them so what can i do well i guess i can get in their way i can try to get in their way very quickly um i can do anything i can to slow them down and i can hang on for dear life and then hope that maybe they leave some room on the edge of objectives for me to jump onto 
<laughs> like that that's how i'd approach it but then until you get into the onto the table and play it um you know you, you might not think of it that way um I, i've played other matchups where i just thought it was an auto loss i was just looking at it, i was like there's no way i win this and then i get onto the table i start putting the pieces down and i'm like fine I'll, I'll go first and try to do my alpha strike thing and then realize that my alpha strike actually wiped out all of the critical pieces crippled the army and now i'm in a almost an auto win position mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm like okay well that's very different sometimes you just don't get that until you put it on the table and actually do it um because you'll get you everybody has biases and so like recognize that sometimes you have a bias where you think that your army is better than it is which is a, a thing sometimes you think you're it's worse than it is um, i have like a almost a pessimistic bias where i'll be like i just don't think it can beat that and then you get on the table and realize that, well, that unit can't be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you can't kill Marathi, but if you stay, you know, 18 inches away from her, then she can only do so much damage to you. Or, you know what? Just keep throwing 10 archers at her yeah, just... <laughs> and take your three wounds a turn. Like, look, it's going to take a couple of turns. Don't worry about it. Handle the rest of the army and just keep ticking away the wounds. Or put her into a tar pit and let her sit there and hit her head against those, uh, those Hearthguard Berserkers and Neither of them are going to kill each other. They're just going to stare at each other. Yeah. Well, Great. I, um, I'm a big proponent of drown it with skeletons is like one of my go-to strategies. Like sure. if, I, if I can't deal with drown it with skeletons, like you're going to be here a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not a bad idea. Um, yeah. And so it really comes down to like first understand what those armies are. Um, and it changes depending on the time, you know, right now it's Zinch and Seraphon to some ex- extent it's KO. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some edge Nurgle lists out there that are absolutely terrorizing people, and then there's always your your niche stuff as well. But um, IDK has had a stigma since it's come since it came out, like as like the the oppressive alpha flying 16 inch murder you eels. This was an army I got beat by at Adepticon, and it kind of like kept me shy of like my my goal for for Adepticon weekend, and I refused to lose to IDK ever again. We and uh, so I just went and I practiced tons and tons of games against IDK and I'm like, okay, what are they trying to do? Okay, okay, they can do their board edge, basically auto charge me. And there's virtually yeah. nothing I can do to stop it apart from like you know screen suboptimal or yeah. uh, you know screening it potentially or deploying suboptimally. You know what? I learned very quickly deploying suboptimally didn't benefit me in any of those games. It's like sure throw out like a screen to where like to keep them honest, but like stick to my deployment. Because if they want to, they can just march from the back end of the table to be here on turn three when it yep. matters anyway. So it's like almost just let them go for that deployment and then force the hand, try to do yep. my damage before they get to do it. And like learning how that army worked went a long way. I play slow death armies, right? Like mm-hmm. learning how to, to how to compensate for, for that stuff. And then I I've still haven't really lost to IDK in two or three tournaments now. And I've played them each time. I went to NashCon going, I'm going to play against IDK. I'm going to play against IDK. Brendan's like, no, you're not. Don't throw that out there. Played against them round three. Um, beat them. Like, get wrecked. <laughs> with, uh, with at the time dwindling, uh, with the time dwindling Legions of Nagash. As, uh, they were, they had been I think the key here is to get also into, um, understand what your opponent is seeing as well. A lot of people think that their opponent is always going to make the absolute optimum move. Right. Um, and that might not be the case. Like, when you're sitting there, 
looking at what you're imagining your opponent is going to do, you always have what your nightmare scenario is of like what they do. But that might not actually work for their game plan. That might not be their plan. They may not make that optimal move. They might miss it too. People make mistakes. Um, even when you're on the top tables, it's not uncommon for somebody to make one to two mistakes in the game. And those are the mistakes that if you're ready for them, you can take advantage and break the game open. Um, with armies like Idenef, that are armies that try to take control of the game, you have more opportunities to break their game plan because it's their job. Like they're, They have to make the game happen, not you. So with an alpha strike army like that, understand what they're going to try to do roughly and just try to break it. Disrupt All you're doing it, yeah. is playing defense. Yeah. Screw them up. Um, I, I, you don't actually have to have a great plan. Your plan could just be to ruin their plan and then play from there. Um, that's a valid strategy. Also, think about what they're afraid of. <laughs> like, There is no army in AOS that doesn't have anything. Um, if you're coming to the table with a complete garbage army, like you're still going to have something in it. I don't like to go to a tournament without feeling like I have a chance in at least every game. Like I have to, I want to have something. Um, but there's something in your army that they're afraid of, and understand what that is, and think about how they're gonna approach that, and you can play around that. Yeah, you can. You can. I mean, this is where the mind games have it come in. You can. You can bait yeah. them into a suboptimal position yeah. if they're if they're afraid of this unit and they're deploying away from it. I can use that. I can yeah. use that to get them off their game plan. I mean, and maybe don't. Maybe you're not going to use that unit offensively. Maybe you're going to use it the whole game as, as board control or as movement control um, or as just a threat. And until and then turn three, they realize you're not even going to really use that unit. It's too late. You've had it, it's held its objective for three turns or whatever, and mm -hmm. it, it did its job. And then they come in turn four and kill it. But who cares? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you understanding another army, what other armies are trying to do, and that part of this comes with experience. Part of it comes with practicing with a purpose, right? Like, like, but understanding what an army is trying to do and just disrupting that—it's such a—it's such a useful tool when you're trying to get better yeah. at Age of Sigmar. But you can't understand what another army is trying to do unless you seek understanding of that army, get yeah. get over some of your cognitive biases that, like, okay, this is unwinnable, unbeatable, best thing ever. Cool. All right, it is. Now move on. What stops it? How do you disrupt yeah. it? What is I mean, it trying even to look at when when Slanesh was in its heyday, right? Mm -hmm. um, One of the most... I, and, it, and I was I was playing Daughters of Cain at the same time, so like I mean, Daughters was just as bad as Slanesh, but for some reason somebody else was taking the hate mail. Um, <laughs> but it it was it, it was funny to me because everyone was looking at it like this is unbeatable, and then I'm looking at these Slanesh armies and they were 95 wounds, and I was like, can somebody shoot them? Like, I was playing Daughters. I had my own broken way of handling them, which was absolutely terrible. I had Marathi. I had single wound models. I was like, I've got my plan, right? So I was happy with that. But I was looking at this. I was like, you know, like, and this is, where, of course, where the meme, the, the shoot the Just shoot the heroes. But, like, there were shooting options at the time. And I was shocked that shooting didn't show up, um, which is why Team America two years ago took that, uh, that, that free people's list. They had all of those stand-and-shoot options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, put that up against uh, Slanesh. Charge me, you're dead. Don't charge me. Well, you're also dead. Uh, get in combat with me, you're not getting depravity, then you're dead. Um, it was a, a great spoiler list that nobody knew what to do with. Yeah. Um, and every time we've had one of these boogeyman lists, there's there's an option for it. Right now, I'm struggling to challenge or to solve some of these boogeyman lists, but like the Slanesh list had a, had a very strong weakness. Um, so did um, the, uh, the the fact list that was you know scaring everybody back 
you know, the, the nuclear the original, terrorist. Yeah, the original. Which was really uh, good. Yeah. But, I mean, there were there were weaknesses to that, too. Um, you know, you got you to, like, none of these lists are completely unbeatable. Um, players might make mistakes. Go buy the book. Read the book to dig into it, understand what that allegiance does, because every time I am terrified of an army, I get the book, and then I realize, oh, it can't do all five of those things at once. It can do three of them. Three is scary, don't get me wrong. But those other two it can't do. I don't have to worry about them right now. And now that there's only three things to worry about, maybe maybe I can solve that problem. Or maybe I can give myself a 20% chance of winning that game that I thought was completely 0%, unwinnable. Yeah. yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take a I'll take a I'll take a die roll at a chance of winning. Like sure. I I really will. Like you, you kidding me? I'm already I'm already winning at life because I'm playing Age of Sigmar. Like at an event with like my favorite people in the world that they're all there. Like I'm already winning. I showed up and I, I won the day, I, like the instant I won. And from there, it's just bonus, you know. Um, I hope to walk away, you know, three and uh, the what's what's that what's that motto that y'all have? Three um, wins or walk home. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I hope to live to that standard myself. Uh, you know, I'm putting together. I just putting together a just playing, enjoying, and stuff like that. I'm like, I'll, sure. I'll switch into another gear down the line if I feel like it. But for now, I'm winning showing up. And I think yeah. a lot of it starts with your mentality and preparation. I think the vast majority of, of it is mentality and preparation. And what do you want to accomplish? Maybe you don't want to compete to win the event, and that's fine. Like, a lot of times we do, and that's why we prepare like that. But sometimes we just want to show up and drink beers. Well, your your preparation is going to be heading to the beer store then, right? Like that's your preparation for the event. Yeah, yeah. I usually uh, I'm I'm actually drinking New Glarus right now, which is of course illegal oh, to sell outside of the state of Wisconsin. And part of my mm -hmm. tournament prep is buying a case of New Glarus to take, uh, yeah. you know, elsewhere. Uh, Indigo Girls asks, uh, how do you feel about? And we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, worth a rehash. Uh, how do you feel about the current Boogeyman armies? slash health of the meta. And I think health of the meta is maybe something we haven't quite touched on. But, yeah. So, so it, the meta is more diverse than it's ever been. Um, the, the count of armies that are super strong right now is, is higher than it's ever been in the past. I mean, we've what, usually the, had one, two armies yeah. that were really... It's like five right now. Yeah. Um, and there's variations. I, I think what people are unhappy with is that that hasn't changed in 12 months. Um, that's where you're getting some unhappiness is that these armies seem to be the same ones. Um, you know, we haven't seen, nothing's come in to break that. And that has created some aggravation with the new books, because I think a lot of the new books are, um, very reasonably written. Um, I know that we just talked about how good the Daughters of Cain book is, but it's, it's not a Seraphon book. Um, right. you know, it's not like some of these other ones where it's just, Absolutely everything is amazing. It, it's strong. It is very strong. has a lot of play in it. I think there will be events won from it, but it's not an unbeatable book. It's not the Slanesh V1, right? Just, it's, it's not that. Just to, um, just to put an arbitrary value on it, I see it at about a, around a 60%. You know, like like 60% is the upward threshold of our, what we call the Goldilocks zone of the fat middle, 40 to 60, right? That's I see it right at that 60%. Personally. It might be higher, but it's, it, it's, it's not unreasonable, I think. Um, yeah. Whereas, like, you know, you have a couple of builds out there right now, whether it was due to point reductions or whether it was just due to changes in the meta or whatever that end up just being ridiculous. I mean, putting 50 Blight Kings on the table in a Blight Sist right now. Like, okay, I'm a one-drop army that puts 250 wounds to the five-up ignore on the table that moves 14 inches. 
Great. Turn one, they're on the objective. Turn two, turn three. Old baby <laughs> old. <laughs> like, there's no reason to go anywhere. And they actually do damage too. You get in there, they start beating you up. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like, it, it's a hard problem to solve. There are armies that can solve it. Um, Seraphon with you know teleporting croak and summoning his uh his screen and then dropping the salamanders by him or the stand and shoot skinks or even the you know the double firing double basilitons i mean there's there's crazy <laughs> stuff they can do too um there's a lot of um yeah, there's a lot of good uh a good builds out there zinch change host still a thing uh flamers still rock um it's it's weird, like, they did horrible. just enough change to Zinch with just enough, like, Seraphon just started to hit, so that, like, people just looked away from Zinch, and I'm like, you know, this army's still really good, right? Still really good. Yeah, <laughs> like, you guys know, like, it, it, like, it's just, it's, la it's like, fallen out of the, the boogeyman conversation, and I'm like, this thing is still doing everything that wins at Age of Sigmar right now. It's Fire Slayers never got bad. By the way, yeah, I, I, it's it's funny. Like, like <laughs> I, I don't, I never understood why they didn't. Like, they never caught on that much in the in the Midwest. Um, and the daughters relate to catch on in the Midwest as well, which I thought was kind of funny. But um, like, fire slayers are so good. Um, if, they're, they're terrifyingly good. If, the damage output of twenty berserkers is, is nuts. You know, this is one of my great internet hot takes from a year ago, is if you're not complaining about Fire Slayers right now, you shouldn't be complaining about Petrifex Elite. And, like, Petrifex Elite got what was coming to it, and Fire Slayers are just over there whistling and twiddling their thumbs. You know, like... Well, it's funny, because Fire Slayers actually get a little bit better. Because when you went, when you lost the 30-man unit cap, they the negative play experience went away. But what it meant is that you could now take 220s and then some other stuff, rather than two thirties and nothing else. Well, they they were and incentivized to play the army better because the one thirty block was already kind of like suboptimal. You know, you wanted yeah. Or sometimes you would take two, which was nasty, right? But then you can only be in two places. You could now theoretically take three twenties and some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a shame that it's um. It, like I think uh, Vince Venturella did his like little like army aesthetic survey, and I think Fire Slayers was the lowest rated by far. I'm like people just don't like don't like the look of it, so they don't play it. I'm like this is if I showed up, I said a little bit ago because like my playstyle is already like a, very similar. I like I like melee grinder sort of like mm -hmm. you know pseudo. I like that playstyle. Like I I do. Um, see you know, Ossiarch Bone Reapers. Like, I really do like that that playstyle. I'm like, if I like dwarves, I'd be, or had the patience to convert it all into undead stuff, the whole, like, as far as the eye could see, like, you know, like, you'd put your hundred hours into Spartans. If I could do, if I had that patience, I'm like, probably playing Fire Slayers is my competitive build right now. Like, it's got some weak matchups, but what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do on the table goes to that playstyle. What I'm trying to do on the table, this army does, and it does it better than my Mortec Guard. Like, yeah. I'm like, even with catapult support, like, you know, my catapults are essentially one, you know, my two catapults are essentially threatening. Depending on the army, usually they're threatening one spot. You know, they're giving me that ranged ability to, like, pluck and stuff like that. I'm like, if I have this churning three waves of fire slayers, one of them teleporting, I'm like, I'm pretty much accomplishing. And then that's before we even talk about some of, the, like, the janky shooting builds that you can fit in there. Yep. <laughs> like, that's before we even start talking about some of the fire slayers have some fun shooty i'm like so yeah i i think that's a, it's a cool army it's weird uh one of the regulars in chat gang here 
uh, from Germany. Apparently, they just mm -hmm. see tons of fire slayers and Ger German like the German. It's super common over in uh, in in Europe in general. Uh, fire slayers just, I, and I think it's it's bigger on the coasts in the United States as well. So, um, you know, I think it's. It, it, yeah, I just didn't understand why it didn't quite make it to the Midwest. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a wildly good uh, good army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Daughters of Cain was another one where it's like uh, like we we got buffered from the Daughters of Cain hate here in Midwest because like Nagash was just being single handedly <laughs> right. made like nationally hated by the Midwest scene, which was fun. <laughs> I showed up in the wake of that. Thank you, thank you. All. Uh, <laughs> just like walking up, starry-eyed, holding my Nagash, and like everyone's Nagash, and I didn't yet know just the, the what we had done. Yeah, what you had done to everyone, <laughs> y'all and Brendan. Um, no, so I, I I like what your take of uh, just to reset the conversation a little bit. Um, I like your take on like the the number of of winning armies or or just strong armies we see mm -hmm. um, right now. Um, I don't know. I I personally kind of checked out for the last year, just kind of trying to deal with my sure. you know situation. I think a lot of people went to like survival mode. Um, so like I just kind of gave the last year a pass. I understand the frustration you're talking about, though, um, you know, as I kind of, like, awaken from my, my personal sort of, like, stasis field. Um, I don't think it... I mean, if 3.0 is around the corner, like people say, the GHB, it's not going to stay that way forever. This, too, shall pass. The wheel of AOS always turns. Always. And it I don't does. think people can blame... I think last year it had a little bit of a reason for that, like, 12 months of stagnation. Just a, just a little bit more than other years, and we need to have some, have some patience with it. Um... I see. Um, so we talked about solving the meta a little bit. Um, I guess uh, to, to so these these uh, if you had advice for somebody kind of seeking to go, maybe they're they're playing, you know, like they're playing out of their their LGS net right now. They haven't ventured to mm -hmm. a tournament, or they've been uh, grinding a couple tournaments here and there, but they're looking to take their game to that next level. Or they're looking to get a little bit more competitive. What's some like mm -hmm. sort of general advice you have? Um, we'll understand what the, what the meta is right now and what you're going to be facing in a tournament. Um, this is something I've been doing for 20 years, but when I'm afraid of a, an army, I buy the book, uh, go buy the book, start reading it. Um, knowledge is power, right? Um, uh, start understanding what these other armies do. What some of the weaknesses are, go try to build lists of that army, see what you can't get into that list, see what the limitations are, start understanding, um, what doesn't fit that no, not everything is going to get in there. Or if it does, it does, it can't do X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a great place to start because then that educates you on do you actually need to change your army? Mm -hmm. um, and not like your allegiance, like assuming that you're going to stay with your book, but like maybe your list is fine, you just need more practice. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's something major missing in your list. Like maybe you just need to... Um, you know, rebuild it or it's missing a, a key piece that suddenly changes it. Mm -hmm. um, that can kind of give you the intelligence for that. And then go and reassess that list, of course, with your goals in mind, but kind of like we talked earlier. Um, and then practice with it. Um, I, I think I, I see a lot of people that will change a list after one game or after two games. And um, it's, it's hard to find the time to do 10 games the list. I get that. But maybe at least give it two or three before you change anything in it. Like, take it out there, see what it does. Because, like, your first game, you're trying to figure out what are your distances, what are your bubbles, what does it do? 
Um, it's going to take time. Um, I think the other thing I learned from other players is that like when you write a list, don't just try to get all the toys in there. But like, what does this army do? Like, what's your plan? Like, turn one is you know, are you pushing out your screens? You're bubbling out. You're you're controlling the board, and then you're using ranged weapons to push out on them. Are you trying to jump in an alpha strike? Are you going to sit in the corner and force them to come to you and cause problems? Like, what's your rough game plan with the army? Like, and it can't just be buff this up, this unit up, and throw it forward because that's not really a plan. I, I went through that phase. I, I did that, <laughs> um, and it, it it worked somewhat well, but not that well. So it's just um, I think just practice is great, but also have a plan for what your list does, and then once you have that plan. Go execute it over and over and over again, and try it out and see what it what it, what it does. And um, you know, play more events. Um, playing on a, a tournament game is very different than playing a uh, you know a Wednesday night Warhammer game, right? Um, you'll feel a little pressure um, if you know people have played on the the top tables or played on stream. Man, um, anybody that saw my stream game on Honest Wargamer remembers I forgot to deploy one of my hags. Game four against Fire Slayers, one of the most critical pieces of that whole army. I just kind of forgot to put it on the board. Great move, dude. Great move. <laughs> um, and that was just like me being out of my own head. And that happens whether or not, even if you're not on stream, mm-hmm. um, you can be on a top table and you're anxious and you don't even realize it because you've got a shot at winning the event or you've got a shot at going four and one. Mm-hmm. And then you start making mistakes you wouldn't normally have and just becoming almost... Um, comfortable with that stress even if it even if the stress isn't that bad like it shouldn't be awful right it's a game but yeah just becoming accustomed and adjusted to it my hands still shake i i played i put a down payment on a house with magic the gathering winnings all right like i was for a time (laughs) and my hands still shake like when i'm like doesn't matter what i'm doing and the thing i need the thing you talk about getting comfortable with the stress for me maybe that means that like my hands don't stop shaking like, I might always just, like, ha- I'm an anxious person, I have anxiety. Like, I might just always have that, but mm-hmm. learning how to, like, where you get to a point where you have enough reps, like, okay, yeah, my tape measure's shaking, you know, I'm right. playing against someone I, I haven't, pl- like, uh, you know, learning to where you get enough reps to where you're not psyching yourself out when you notice your hand's shaking, you know, like, that's, you might not ever get to a point where you don't have, like, some nervous tics or some nervous abilities, but you'll get to a point where you have some mental competence and and comfort- comfortableness with your own sort of being uncomfortable to where you are you still go through a similar mental process of, like, mm-hmm. do this, 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 make sure I deploy this. Like, you get to a point where you're, you, you're not overthinking it so that even when your nerves are out there a little bit, you're still doing – you're still going through your winning – strategies yeah. you're still going through everything that you you've you've um you normally practice with and you normally know how to do um and that just comes from like having to go to a tournament and having to be uncomfortable yeah. and having to get uncomfortable um most most age of sigmar players are again this community um no bullshit i think is one of the greatest communities in all of gaming i've been around gaming my whole life i've never met a community like the age of sigmar community um, you hear some boogeyman stories on the internet, and I don't mean boogeyman in terms of boogeyman lists, about, like, that guys. I haven't encountered a that guy yet, and in about three years of tournament play, uh, I've had one bad game I can remember. There were a couple other bad games, but, like, I don't remember them, so they couldn't have been that bad. They're still in three years, one, which I think is a pretty good clip. I think that's pretty awesome. 
You know, you have games where you walk away and like, oh man, I could have won that. But in terms of an actual bad experience, like one, that's pretty awesome. Um, and and I think that like you know, don't being don't let yourself be intimidated and set some more realistic expectations and go and then go into it and just just do it, do the thing. It's so much fun when you do the thing. Um, uh, anything else uh, to to add on Daughters of Cain? Because uh, I got a hot burning question for you. Uh, anything else to add on Daughters of Cain tournament prep or, or Worlds? Anything we didn't get to? Anything? I, you really I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think that that pretty much kind of covers the. We, we went pretty deep on the tournament prep, and um, it's a fun process. And man, I can't wait to to get back to it. I'm I'm ready for some tournaments so I can start <laughs> start prepping for them. But uh, yeah, I think that covers. I, I think the the Daughters book is. Uh, um, is is a solid one there's a lot of versatility into it i mean there's been a there's you know two dozen reviews of it out there to, to go super deep on it i think there's a ton of potential there to write some wacky lists that are still very strong so excited to see what people come up with because i think uh the hagnar build will be good but i think there's going to be some other gems in there that are going to be uh real janky and real fun retreat and charge is so awesome it's so good and especially like, with marathi yeah it's oh, uh, like so I, good I'm just like I'm looking at that and I'm like, this is tasty. Like I kind of know what I'd be playing. An um, entire army of retreat and charge. I mean, that's that's pretty it's pretty nasty. Like welcome to the blender. Like where your whole army's just swirling around, retreating and charging <laughs> as you circle around. Will oh, this blend? So <laughs> it's just like, oh man. Will it blend? <laughs> like fucking like you just where the the whole army's in motion just circularly. All right, yeah. Um, so my other question is: uh, is uh, when's the uh, when are you spearheading the uh, Detroit Warhammer podcast? <laughs> uh, I've wanted to do it for a while. Um, we've been it's, it's all it's all talk, no game right now. Um, but uh, work for me has been pretty crazy recently, doing you know 60, 70 hour weeks right now. But uh, as things start calming down a little bit, I, I want to get that project going at, at some point. I don't know what it'll actually be, or even really what the format is. Uh, people seem to just like following our, our stupid banter online sometimes, so we might see if we can make it into a program of some kind. <laughs> right, right on, right on. Um, <laughs> I know, uh, I know, uh, uh Sean's uh mentioned uh, you wanted to get it going here for a while, so it'd be fun. Um, you know, I like talking Warhammer, um, I think a lot of other people do too, and um, it's, it's fun taking a competitive uh, look at a game. Uh, there's a lot of good competitive podcasts out there, but. Um, it's fun to have an excuse to, to jump on and you know get somebody else's uh, view on a mm -hmm. competitive landscape and understand how they think through things. Well, I mean, even if even if people have similar takes or similar reads of like the battle tome, you still find that like you you find an audience that like resonates with how you say it or or for sure you know they like your perspective or yeah you know you you, you so I, I don't think there's there's ever enough warhammer content people are going to find what they like and you're going to kind of find your audience so it's useful um competitive warhammer podcasts the ones that i'm like these are like legit are um there's a lot fewer of like competitive podcasts than there are mm -hmm. like stuff like my show where it's Mine's just an excuse to talk to somebody about Warhammer. <laughs> and we only loosely usually talk about Warhammer. We usually talk about everything else. Uh, I do it that way because there's plenty of people talking about actual Warhammers calling themselves Warhammer Podcasts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my secret. Not actually talk about Warhammer. Um, <laughs> uh, the uh, Yeah, but I mean, there's a, I think a competitive perspective is, is pretty useful. And I think it helps... 
you know, with the with the aim to get people less intimidated by competitive to 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 show sure. that competitive players are people too. You know, like yeah. stuff like that, where you just the more we it, all. It's know, not about ruining your opponent's play experience, right? It, it's just a different way of looking at the game. Like I want to try to see how many games I can win. You're gonna still play even. You're gonna play smart. You're gonna want to have a fun game. Like you don't want to ruin anybody's weekend like don't you know, don't be a jerk right. uh, but at the same time i don't think it's a bad thing to say you know what i i want to do the best i can at this event and i want to strive for excellence and if that means taking home a trophy that'd be great um i don't think that's a bad thing so long as you're being a good sport about it and um you're respecting well, the event and all that which everybody seems to yeah yeah i mean i mean that expectations and stuff like that goes a long way you know what's the expectation when you go to a tournament you're gonna play people who want to win that tournament and i think that that's sure that's important to get out the way but then from there it's like um even a cat like even having like a casual like outlook on the game and like i'm you know i'm i'm like I'm right between beer and pretzels and competitive. Like I have my competitive sure. lean. I'm a, again, I'm a, I'm like a recovering competitive player. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know when I, when I want to, the itch will come back. I don't know. Like, and that's the thing I fear. Cause I know, man, I, I played a uh, blood bowl. This was kind of like what I did to kind of stay in mm-hmm. Warhammer adjacent and, and stay like polished and stuff like that. Salty meth is a real son of a bitch. Like he comes out in blood bowl and I'm like, no, no, we don't want League of, Le- League of Legends Mephisto here. We don't want that guy. We don't want like <laughs> Magic the Gathering. Like I got, we went and played a, a drunken D and D, which was like beer pong. It was twenty cups, and your beer pong was was basically for your your die rolls on the D twenty. So you had like one through twenty on the on the thing, right? And then, uh, so that was it. Was that was how we rolled? I got hammered. Showed up to a side event, completely hammered, ruined ruined three guys in a row just ruined them and i was the loud braggart like just obnoxious drunk like oh merfolk's supposed to win this matchup that really sucked for you like that guy i never want that mephisto to come out i don't think he will but but that like man that was (laughs) being salty is part of the blood bowl experience apparently yeah uh got a really really important question here from nuke doctor where is your combat gauge uh it's in my backpack that was a that was a big miss good point sean uh man yeah that was a it was me coming straight from work that was uh yeah that, that must be why i felt off all night there hasn't been the the weight you know yeah you got to wear the wear the combat gauge at all times oh yeah for yeah, sure yeah right on <laughs> <laughs> see that's another tip for getting better at competitive warhammer you have a combat gauge that you wear around so you're always and it's always- got to be the old one that's, like, way too heavy, so if you drop it on your foot, it actually might break a toe. Yeah. Like, that's the key, is it's got to be so heavy that it's really not usable. Yeah. And it has the string going through it that you can't remove, so that there's really no good use for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, used that thing, because I thought it was super swag in my first tournament, until I realized that that cord gets in the way of freaking everything. Yep. When you're trying to, like, actually use it practically. Or if you try to wear it, and you, you lean over your models, it's like a bowling ball, and just, like, <laughs> knocks them all over. Yeah. The number of times I've done that during deployment, and just, like, kind of looked up at my opponent, and been just like, Ugh. well, we're going to restart that. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, any any final thoughts, uh, Age of Sigmar or otherwise? You want to get off your chest? Uh, this is your final digital so, soapbox man. moment. Uh, no, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's been a good chat. Thanks for having me. This is uh, it's always fun chatting with Warhammer, and uh, you know maybe as the uh, 
the idea, the broad idea of a podcast comes up here that I'll, uh, I'll ping in and we can figure out how to, how to chat about that again if that becomes a, a real thing. See, see, I've lost 86 times at podcasting, so I'm like, I'm like the, you know how you just lose a bunch of games and then you go and you win stuff and whatever? <laughs> That's what I'm doing at podcasting, is just losing every time I put on a show, but I'm getting better and better and better at it, so uh, maybe by the time you get yours together, I'll be useful. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll, uh, but I'll no, almost for some tips. Yeah, but almost certainly, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you all the things that, that not to do via my experience and then uh, hey, help you out. That's, uh, that's a great start. Yeah, right on, man. All right, chat gang. I see snit bag dropping a thousand RDP. Uh, remind everyone, chat gang ain't nothing to mess with. Um, I am, of course, Magical Mr. Fistol. We've been talking with Jake LeCure uh, mm-hmm. and uh, talking competitive AOS. AOS. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Chat gang, you're the show within the show. The reason we do this thing, drink your milk, pay your taxes, and I'll see you next time. Look at that sign off. You gotta... <laughs> so smooth. <laughs>